Hello and welcome to episode 177 of the Ramnatile Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And I'm not going to lie, I like our episode title. We're calling this episode Running With It because it works, it really it just works so well on two different levels. I mean, on one level, the obvious level, we've got you, Angel, giving us Runner 3 impressions later in the show, at which time I'm also going to be sharing hands-on with the upcoming Sushi Striker. But the second level of the title is thanks to the fact that there's a lot of rumors in the last couple of weeks and for well, the sake of conversation e3 season e3 season season exactly literally rumor season right so for the sake of conversation we're going to wait for it run with those rumors see see because run with okay your cleverness astounds me i it should it's it's really like the fact that i had to walk through the joke just sucks all the lack of humor that was already not there like right out of it anyway yeah the rumors we're talking about we got Star Fox grand prix we got pokemon we've got uh potentially even fortnite coming to switch so there's all that plus of course real news from both nintendo and third parties april sales numbers but we're gonna start with the rumors because let's be honest rumors are fun they're like Arguably, one of the more. I fun mean, things. well, yes. Once upon a time, they were as as, as, uh, as the years go by, rumors started to become more and more um, fun suckers. Almost as how you were describing, like the inverse of fun, the reverse of fun, the opposite of fun. Yeah. Well, we're, we should actually later. I think we should talk about the rumors first, so people have some context. Yeah. And then once we do that, I actually do want to come back to that and see like what is it about rumors you hate now? Because right. I'm sort of. I, sort of, I think I have a different angle on it than you, but I'm curious what your take is. So we'll have all that um, in the episode. There's timestampsramtown.com, but to kick us off, I think the crazier rumor... To get the ground running. To get to hit the ground running. Yes, hit the ground running. I to get the ground running. The ground doesn't run. The ground does not have life. This episode is a disaster, and we're only like three minutes in. Anyway, the craziest rumor, the one we're starting Actually, not with... not even three. We're a minute and 50. I mean, that's arguably enough time to restart, but we're too far. We just can't. But the um, yeah, the, <laughs> only the best for you guys. <laughs> only the top quality. We know this sucks, but we don't care for you guys. Uh, but yeah, we should really start with the craziest rumor that happened, which is Retro Studios, uh, and they're supposedly working on a little game currently called Star Fox Grand Prix. So the the gist of this rumor, just to catch everyone up, is that Nint- or Nintendo and Retro have been for four years now plugging away. At a new Star Fox that plays like a hybrid of Diddy Kong Racing and F Zero, so it's a racing game with some sort of single player adventure mode. Is essentially what that means. Uh, subsequent details that have come out since the initial rumor say that if you know if these are legit, they seem to paint a picture of it skewing more towards Diddy Kong Racing than F Zero. I mean, obviously your vehicle's an R wing, which is kind of F Zero esque, but um, that's pretty much where the F Zero ends, and the Diddy Kong then comes in and takes the rest. As in, there'll be a hub area where you pick missions, you interact with different characters. That, you know, all that kind of advances a single-player story, and there will be bosses you engage with in a track. Like, you will have Grand Prix, and the end of the Grand Prix will be a boss battle on the track as you race. So my question right off the bat for you, Angel, is how plausible does this even sound to you? Like, does this seem like something they do? I would say, to me, plausibility, I would say none right now. I've been kind of jaded by any rumors involving Star Fox because this is like the second year in a row second year in a row that we have a Star Fox rumor right last year was a Star Fox Metroid crossover last year dude your time space that was four years ago that was four years ago <laughs> it was 2005 uh, yeah no six it was 2012 wow. or 13 maybe it, felt it, like was, it was early Wii U days yeah that rumor it's uh, I remember that one I think it was 2012 and like it's right when we started the podcast and like everyone everyone reported as if it was fact for some reason well, I mean this feels no different yeah, but maybe the, that's why it's feeling like it was just yesterday because to me it feels almost exactly it felt like we had details feel like every venue was covering it just like this 
The the funny thing about that one is the parallels between that and this are so strong. Like they, you know, it's both small publications and big publications. It was in the weeks leading up to E three. It was this idea of transforming Star Fox in some way because that's how it will survive as a franchise. Like it is. You're right. It is very similar. So you think because that wasn't a thing, my hopes. This probably isn't a thing. I, I'm just basic, pretty much. Um, I'm not even letting my hopes lift off the ground. So, you're, are you no. saying that they're they're whatever the ground running, whatever wrong verb you used before? <laughs> wow, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, you can make fun of my horrible episode title. All you, you can't want. just run with it. Beautiful, beautiful. But um, I end up for me like so. You you really think there's zero chance, huh? Because for me, I think it's not like plausible. It actually kind of maybe I'm hoping there isn't. I don't know. And, and now here's the thing, though. Like, it feels like a natural direction for Nintendo to take Star Fox in. I mean. I don't think anyone would have guessed this would be the direction. I wouldn't have in a million years. But when you stop and think about Star Fox as like a Diddy Kong Racing style racing game, it all kind of – like every part of this rumor makes sense. I mean if it was a standard racing game, so if we're talking like Mario Kart but in space, I would say it's ridiculous and there's no chance whatsoever. Like nah, not all. But with the more adventure slant, like I don't know – I don't know. I think it could actually work really well. Like Star Fox is kind of already there if you think about it. Like – on rails gameplay is what the series is kind of it's kind of its mo whether or not you prefer when it branched off into other things on rails Star Fox is the what the series is known for and that's really not much different from a racing game you know like both have you essentially moving into the screen on a somewhat set path so if you just sort of pivot Star Fox into something where other pilots around you are now fellow players that are competing with you versus you just flying solo with computer characters it's it's not that far fetched. Like, theoretically, they could even keep all the existing Star Fox, like, Unreal mechanics. They could just kind of layer racing on top of that. Like, there's this part of the rumor, like, the extended rumor, so to speak, the stuff that came out after the initial reports, that you may shoot and you may need to shoot enemies and other pilots to get speed boosts. Like, the more you shoot, the faster you go. Which, take it or leave it, That I don't know how good of a mechanic that is, but that literally is just do the thing you do in Star Fox, and it will help you do better in your race. Like, it's really just the same core idea, kind of. Like, if anything... You could argue that Aang Racing will actually up the replay value of a traditional Star Fox game because instead of just going for high scores over and over and the exact same enemy formations over and over, you now have a little variety thrown in because there are other variables at play from other characters that are racing, be it computer-controlled or online or your friends or whatever. I mean, I, I, I mean, if that were the case, I would like the fact I would like the fact that this would be an aerial racer. Yeah, because I mean, we don't really have too many of those, let alone from a AAA studio and. It, that wouldn't take away the fact that F Zero could still exist in its own right. Yeah. Well. May, yeah. And I. And you know, I haven't even touched on the fact that, um, like Star Fox, kind of is the perfect world for a mascot-based racer. If you think about it, like there's this huge cast of weird fuzzy animals that all have personalities of their own, all have different backgrounds, all have different stats with different types of R wing. It's like, it seems like a natural progression. I mean, even if you if you remember from Star Fox Command, one of the like twelve different endings of which I got a total of maybe two. That's right, I'd be a game twice, people. Take note. Um, one of those endings was Fox and Falco go join a racing league. The, I think they called it the... Um, what did they call it? It had a name. But whatever whatever it was. It was a riff on F-Zero. I think it was like G-Zero. But either way, like again, it, it the canon, the world building, it's also there for them to just slot this in. It is possible. So you're saying there's no way that whoever leaked this was maybe like some... Some person that was just like taking a peek, like behind like closed doors, and like, huh, what are they playing? And then he sees... misinterpreted something dramatically. Yeah, like like, well, like, 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 what if it, what if it really was just F Zero, and the person was just playing as James McCloud, who has an R wing, 
as his cart and was in the middle of a giant jump. So it looked like he was flying <laughs> and it was clearly a racing game. I, and it's like, oh, that's clearly Star Fox. I would I say to that, I doubt it because it sounds like there are multiple people who have heard this from <laughs> multiple sources. theory about this rumor is clearly I think, Yeah, wrong. I think your theory about this rumor, your hypothetical about th- theoretical potentially true rumor is flawed <laughs> like no i think uh it sounds like there are at least three or four people that have shared this in a vague way with different sources i mean Eurogamer claimed they had a source that was separate from the one that leaked this on like 4chan of all places which i think it was which is separate from the one that leaked it through like uh, people like emily rogers which is separate from the one that leaked it to you know other publications like game informer so it's making the rounds whether it's true or not who knows a lot of stuff makes the rounds that isn't true but metroid Star Fox mashup but all the the ducks all line up in a row so nicely for us to be real and then i mean even the fact that's by retro makes total sense because retro studios got his big break transforming metroid from a 2d size score to a first person shooter that totally still felt like metroid their thing is keeping the vibe of a game but updating it in some way right like even you could argue Donkey Kong country they kept the vibe of rareware but modernized it not in a different genre but within the genre so like if anyone were to do this for nintendo it would be retro to take something keep its vibe and spin it into a different genre so it all makes sense it all makes sense now with that said i do think there's one major hold up here um or at least that i have about it which is that almost feels like a missed opportunity like i can see why star fox as a racing game would make sense and could be real I can dig it as a game. I'm totally into the idea. But why would you essentially merge Star Fox into Diddy Kong Racing or the other way around, take your pick, when you can have Star Fox and a Diddy Kong Racing? Like, Retro already has so much experience with DK as a franchise, you know, because of the two country games. And then there's the 90s nostalgia wave right now. Like, why would you not want to do a comeback of day kong racing on switch that could be a huge grab for switch switch is all about those 90s games it just seems like a waste of opportunity and then you know nintendo could have also made a new star fox at that point and essentially gotten two games out of this it's like why merge them into one and i do literally mean merge part of the rumor is there might be donkey kong character cameos in star fox grand prix so it's not just like a hypothetical oh they're taking the gameplay and merging it with star fox it's like literally they are taking what could have been day kong racing and sort of shoving it into star fox it just doesn't I don't know, it seems weird to me. And besides just that, you made the point a minute ago about F-Zero, right? That you like they, you you could maybe get a new F-Zero out of this too. Like, sure, there could be Star Fox, but it won't hurt F-Zero. I would argue it could hurt F-Zero, which is another reason I don't want to believe this, because Nintendo doesn't seem to like to have franchises that overlap anymore. It's arguably why Paper Mario stopped being an RPG and became like that weird sticker-collecting like diet RPG because hmm. it was too similar to Mario and Luigi, right? Yeah. So they were trying that to branch they, it. That's literally what they said. Yeah. Like, we already have a Mario RPG. Yeah, so we'll make Paper Mario into our weird experimental, we don't know what it is, genre. And then, <laughs> <laughs> which, frankly, I don't know what it is. And then, like, look at Fire Emblem. As Fire Emblem rose in popularity, you know what disappeared off the face of the earth? Advance Wars. Because why would you have two of the same genre when you can just pump Fire Emblem out because and leave Advance like Wars behind? But in Nintendo's mind, it's not the same. It, like, yeah, I agree. I want Advance Wars. I want Paper Mario to be an RPG. But Nintendo's mind, they've checked the box for that genre. So if Star Fox Grand Prix exists as a game, it checks the Star Fox box, it checks the Adventure Racing box, it checks the Futuristic Racer box, and we have what could have been three different games, Star Fox, Diddy Kong, F-Zero, and they're all just Frankensteined into one. So that's the potential downside of this, if it's real. Um, which, which actually, you know what, let me ask you this, Angel. So you're not the biggest fan of Star Fox on Rails. 
that I think it's safe to say. You prefer the more open world variety, third person assault style gameplay, right? Yes. Okay. So, Very with much. that in mind, if they made this racing game, that's basically Star Fox grafted on Diddy Kong Racing gameplay wise, would that get you to jump back in to play Star Fox? That would get me to try this game for sure. Yeah. So, in a way, you jump back in and play an on rail Star Fox, in a way. I mean, because you skip zero. Because it was just normal Star Fox, right? Yeah, because, I mean, even though you call it on rails, I mean, racing games... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not... It's not. I'm not saying this is this would be an on-rail Star Fox, but it is sort of bringing people back into the fold that left for the stri- from the strictly on-rails. Yeah, of course. I would I would totally give yeah. it a shot. See, the reason I asked... Because, I mean, it, it, for the same reason you said that I like the salt... I mean, that I love Assault. I right. love um, Command. I like Star Fox Adventures, like... It's just that specific genre that I wasn't that big of a fan of that I didn't like Star Fox in, but of course I still like. I mean, I like Star Fox as a character. It was never against Star Fox himself. It his was name, a- his name is Fox McCloud. Actually, <laughs> Star Fox is the world. I'm sorry. I'm just gonna leave. Keep going. I'm just. Leaving. I like the Star Fox <laughs> cast as characters, the canon. but yeah, it was just the the genre. I mean, if you put him in a racing game, make sure I'll give that a shot. Yeah, the the reason I ask is because you didn't acknowledge my pun. Oh, a shot. Oh, that was good. That was good. I, I was still hung up on all our running puns that we were doing. I, I, I might have made it way too slow, just like... Yeah, I think you yeah. did make it too I, slow. I should have overly enunciated that, but... Yeah, give it a shot. I mean, that you could argue that that joke sort of bombed. Yeah. Okay, that one was also too slow. You dropped bombs <laughs> in Star Fox, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, no, but the reason I asked... i have a blast. I'm sure about, like, 20... That was good. I'm sure all the people that were listening, once we just did those tri- the triple thread of puns just now, have all just abandoned ship. We are talking to no yeah, one. Yeah, they're going to say, like, Fox this. Yeah, I'm exactly. Out. They're out. But, see, that, that sound was them leaving, I guess. I don't know why I just hit. Uh, anyway. No, the reason I asked you if that's all it takes to get you back is changing the genre is because... I can see Nintendo figuring that to keep Star Fox around, which Miyamoto has said time and time again he wants to do, they probably felt the need to like reconfigure it, rejigger it in some way. Like to essentially overlap it with some other ideas to make it a big franchise for them might be worth losing F Zero and Diddy Kong to them. Which to us kinda sucks. So, we we like so, the so they kinda go down the road they're like, huh. Like Captain Falcon, should he be continuing a racing, or or, her, or should he just be a Smash Brothers character? I honestly think that's what it is. And at this point, he literally is just a Smash Brothers character. I honestly think that's what it is because that if is this is true, job. if all this is true, is it a promotion or a demotion? It's I don't a, know. it's a it's a lateral move. No, it's definitely <laughs> a demotion. But uh, no, the reason I say is because in their mind, they probably see Star Fox as a much bigger, well-known franchise than F Zero. Oh yes, totally. Pico. Yeah. So to them, it's probably. I mean, even as popular as Captain Falcon is in Smash Brothers. It's just Captain Falcon that's popular, not yeah. F Zero. Yeah, like if you look at F Zero sales, like uh, the last one they ever released, GP Legend on Game Boy Advance, bombed, box uh, box office bombed in the, the sales charts. And honestly, the best F Zero GX on GameCube that underperformed for Nintendo significantly. Like Miyamoto was not happy with how that Shame. Did. It's like one of my favorite. I games know of it's all a, time. it's one of my favorite GameCube games. Yeah, I'm bad at it, but I enjoy my suckiness you know, you're not that bad, i'm actually right? not that bad. no you're not, no, you're, you're not so i remember so the single player mode there's one I'd say part, like there's three a, wii games you you were pretty decent i mean don't even i went it. casual when the when nintendo did and it never came back <laughs> basically i mean you, you yeah you pretty much stayed gamer level wise what nintendo was expecting from their console basically but then they were like let's go hardcore game with wii u and i'm like nah i'm good yeah <laughs> i just did, never yeah, went I just look at you the monkey ball dude monkey ball is the best uh but no i was gonna say i do remember distinctly there's this one level in f-zero single player it's you have to weave through the canyon with the falling boulders yeah like, like, the, that one i spent like hours trying to be level 
And I spent <laughs> hours trying to beat it. And you know what? I did. I did. Oh. Was it really only the second level? I thought it was like the fifth. No, it's like, I want to say it's like the second or third. Man, now I just sound like I'm really bad at games again. Well, oh, well. Well, to be fair, that story mode is very hard, especially on the hardest difficulty. It's like um, controller breaking hard. I didn't break any. I, I beat it. Have but... you ever thrown a controller in anger? At a couch. So you have. But... I mean, yeah, obviously not a wall. No, I don't think. I think the throwing the controller at the wall is like a tall gamer made up stereotype thing in the same way that we all eat Hot Pockets and Kraft no, Mac and Cheese it's and Doritos. not, but it's more, I would say it's more common in the fighting community. I've seen plenty of people throw controllers and TVs. Yeah, I've just never experienced true anger. Like, like I've been to plenty of tournaments where like a guy like, literally threw his controller at the ground and it exploded and he like dropped the <laughs> TV. Well, okay. And when I said that I threw control, said controller at couch, like that only started happening recently the more I got into Smash Brothers for Wii U. So, oh, so your anger is recent. Yeah. I should stay away from you when we play uh, videos. I, I only really rage when I am getting really into Smash Brothers. That's... Online. I, I never do... I have seen... I have walked in here and you just were cursing up a storm at the TV. I, I never I never get like that in person. Uh, it's it's definitely a completely different mindset. My favorite game rage moment It's, was... it's more like, like, oh, you beat me. Like, handshake, blah, blah, blah. Good game. But online, it's completely different for well, some yeah, reason. Well, yeah, because there's the mask of anonymity. I can't yeah. say that word for like. Yeah, that's just the worst person in the world. When they do something crazy, yeah. they're the worst. They cheated. You get our you get our podcast kicked off iTunes if if you were playing Smash while we were doing this. <laughs> like your strings of like, you're just very vulgar, very very vulgar. I, I, the, I say words. The the wor- the worst rage towards game. When I was a kid, I had, I remember, like, my game rage moment was I used to get really mad at Princess Peach being better than me as a computer control character in Mario Party yeah. 1, 2, and 3. And I used to always, because I remember, I'm the guy that explained the pun at the top of the episode, right? I used to always be like, well, that's Peachy, like, all sarcastically. And I thought I was so <laughs> badass at age, like, 8, being like, well, that's Peachy Peach, or whatever. Actually, 10. Let's be honest, I was 10. Mario Party didn't come out to 99. Uh, but yeah, so that's my game rage moment. No controller stone, just that. But um, but yeah, regarding Star Fox, I feel like yeah, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see. There's pros and cons as we've kind of been talking about. But I think it's certainly more realistic than the Metroid crossover was. I think uh, if anything, I I wouldn't be surprised honestly if this was some sort of like controlled leak almost. I mean, I like people will balk at the concept like oh, put your tinfoil hat on. Nintendo's leaking things in advance. But like, think about how well that works. Like, remember Mario and Rabbids getting leaked before it was released, and everyone's like, this is a dumb concept, and then the game came out, and they're like, actually, it looks great. Like, you don't get fixated on the concept, because you're already over that. You're just looking at the game for what it is. So if Nintendo comes out and says, we made a Star Fox Racer at E3, everyone would be like, ugh, why are you making Star Fox a Racer? But they can do that now. So when the game comes out, they'll be like, okay, that actually looks really fun. They don't get hung up on the conceptual idea. It's like how they announced the Wii name, like, four weeks before E3, back in 06, so everyone could get it out of their system, ha ha ha, Wii. And then when they showed off the system, people were just like, yep, that's cool. That's the Wii. So is it a controlled leak? I doubt it. But, you know, it might. It would work out in their favor if it was. It works out in their favor that it got leaked one way or another. And what would be really nice is if in Star Fox case, they end up actually properly revealing this thing at E3. Not just because the sooner we see what they're doing at Retro, the better, but because we kind of need stuff to play besides Smash Bros. at E3 this year. Do we? We do. Because in oh, new, yeah, you're right. Yes, because in a new move for Nintendo, they're actually going to limit how many times we can try the Smash Bros. demo during the full three days of E3. Which, for someone like me, who's primary there, primarily there for Nintendo, 
that means I need more to play. And Star Fox so fits that you. bill, and Pokemon fits that bill, and Yoshi, if it shows up, fits that bill. But yeah, the, Smash is limited. I mean, you're kind of set, actually. You're good because you have the PS4 stuff to check out. So like you can do Nintendo one day and then or like for Smash and then go over to PS4 and just live in the Sony booth for two and a half yeah, days. Yeah, I do. But although, aren't they sort of doing a Nintendo move this year? Aren't they only showing four games in their showcase? I don't know. I thought you were up on these things. Well, good thing I know. That, I, was, a, that was a setup, but you didn't take the bait. So I will now tell you. No, because... <laughs> no, they are. It, 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 proves, it goes to my point later of... Um... Of not knowing hype. Yeah. Well, I do do want to know the four games. They're only showcasing four games in their press conference. It's gonna, they're calling it a showcase, not a press conference. Would you like to know what they are, or should, would you all be surprised? Um, considering they officially announced it, I guess it doesn't matter. Considering yeah. whatever they are saving two surprises, I mean, it with might be are a... going to be at the yeah presentation. There may be a fifth surprise, but yeah, basically Sony's going into E3 as of now, saying we're going to show Death Stranding, Spider Man, The Last of Us Part Two, and Ghost of uh, Tsushima, and that's it. So, hmm. so you might be limited at Sony too, but but yeah. Before before we move on to well, Pokemon, I guess Xbox, huh? I guess yeah. <laughs> no, they don't even have boot. Or they're across the street. Yeah, they're at the Microsoft oh. there. Then what's? I guess there's third parties doing their. No, stuff? they all pulled out to see. Yeah, there's third parties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. You go to E3, it's just one Nintendo booth with yeah, a line wrapped I mean, around it and nothing else. I mean, I know Atui will be there with Soccer Slammers. That's true. It's actually probably coming out around E3, isn't it? Aren't and they aiming for June twelve? June twenty two. Oh, so right after that. Okay. So and on top of that, if you play the game, I think I believe it gives you a keychain of some sort or hmm. something. Yeah, no, there will pl- there'll be plenty of play. Even like third party stuff for Switch will be there. It's not gonna be that bad, but oh, it is kind of weird. Shush. It is kind of weird though that Nintendo's like, oh, like Smash is very limited, so we do need other stuff to fill it in. Like before, before I move on to talk about our next rumor, Pokemon, I kind of do want to talk about this whole new Nintendo plan for a second because it is weird. Like for the first time ever, Nintendo's actually going to let people require people, I should say to pre-reserve a playtime for the Smash Bros. Switch demo. As long as you're registered for E3 by May 31st, you'll be eligible to sign up for one demo session via a link that'll be emailed out the week before E3, which sounds reasonable enough, and then you get a QR code, and then you go E3, you show up, and you play without needing to wait in a super long line. It's a system Sony's been doing on an app in, in their booth for years, but now Nintendo's doing it ahead of time, which is a little different. And here's the twist. Here's where it gets sucky first world problem uh you might get to play once but you have to choose do you either want to play for fun which is from all i can tell a single match or for glory where it's potentially up to three depending on how good you are and that is it how that's okay that's an easy choice well if you're bad at smash you're probably better off in for fun because if you get killed right away because you're playing the competitive one you're out like, even me, I think I could do for glory and handle myself for a little bit. Like, I'm okay at Smash with Toon Link, who I hope is in the new one. But, like, for someone who just was curious about Nintendo's new fighting game and goes in and they do for glory, they're out in 10 seconds and that's it. Game over. You can never play it again for the next Actually, 72 hours. Actually, that patron who's just curious about Nintendo's new game is wanting to the booth, won't even get to play. No, that... Oh, true. Well, no, you, all E3 attendees will get the email. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, mean, but I see your point. I see your yeah. point. But yeah, I'm like, sure there's I, a lot of them that don't really aren't really gonna check their email and they're just gonna yeah, like show up. Yeah, and be like, show up. I'm ready to play Smash. Oh, I guess I'm not. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's weird because like on the one hand, it's a wonderful way to avoid needing to stand in line for four or six hours. Um, you get more time to try things, like let's say the other games in Nintendo's booth. None of those will require a ticket outside of Smash, and it does to Nintendo's credit, it does avoid some of the crowd control issues they've had in the past. I mean, I remember the first day of E3 last year, they completely miscalculated how many public folk would be showing up like gamer pass people 
and it was insane. Nintendo's booth was insane. Like Mario was chaos. They had to change the whole line structure the next day, and that was fine. It was only like a ninety minute wait, but but but, and I'd argue this is a big but. It sucks that it's limited like this. Like I, you do save many hours in line, but you also lose, as we kind of already indicated, any and all chance of demoing a game multiple times. Should you wish to waste away whole days of your life for ten minutes of Smash, you do not have that option anymore. Like Breath of the Wild, that game has solid six hour line when I went two years ago, and that didn't stop many people from going back every day. A lot of people cycled through multiple times. I only stood in line once because I like to keep my sanity. But honestly, like, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't ideal, but it wasn't horrible. I mean, you'd go through the line. They had the Treehouse Live stage right there, so you could actually, like, watch uh, game demos. You know, E.G. and Numa, like, was saying hi to us from the balcony above. They had, like, Amiibo displays to look at. Like, there was stuff to do. You weren't just sitting in, like, a back corner all day. But, and, you know, at the end, of course, you got to play Zelda. You actually got to play 30 whole minutes of Zelda. And if Zelda is all you wanted your E3 to be about, you could do it. This allowed you to do it. Now though you're stuck with this pre-book demo that for sh- that you know doesn't require nearly as much time in line, but it will also likely be significantly shorter than those 30 minutes. Like I honestly don't know why Nintendo didn't just do what they did with Smash in 2014 for Wii U, where I wasn't there, but from what I read, they did two-minute timed battles. And you could cycle through as many times as you want, but it's a hard two minutes. So they had however many demo units, and you just you know two minutes out, two minutes out. Most demos they three are about 10 to 15. Yeah, I remember, so that would I feel like that would be so much better than this reservation system. I remember it was so easy to get games at um, Comic Con that same year that Smash Bros yeah. was announced. Like we just like we just walked up. Yeah, we just walked up and played so many games and got so many shirts. Right, and and all that will still happen except Smash Bros. That's the thing. Like you'll still stand in line and hopefully easily play whatever else is there, but it's just Smash, which is weird because like if you want to dedicate your life to staying in line for Smash, I kind of wish you had the option. It's now just one and done. And then plus from like... Do you think maybe they should have like a separate line for people that didn't make like it? Like standby? Yeah, standby? I bet they will. That's actually a good point. I bet they will. But but the other thing that you got to consider with this is like even from a PR perspective, doing away with the lines is kind of a blow to Nintendo. As weird as that sounds. Because Nintendo had the best free marketing at, e- at E3 every year because they had the longest line for their game every year basically. And having those videos of people literally stampeding to your booth to get in that line and then doing the motion, like the time lapse of that line, that is endless free marketing for Nintendo. For the Wii, for Breath of the Wild, for Mario Odyssey, time and time again is this self-perpetuating marketing machine that Nintendo just sort of set up. There were years they purposely, like with Zelda, blocked off entrances to their booth. So the only way to get in was to stand in the really long line to make it look more impressive and more like, ooh. Which, you know, as for gamers, we were just being used. We were sheep. But... It, it did wonder like it made them look like the hottest thing at E3 year after year and now that's kind of gone like I understand all of this is the definition of a first world problem I especially get that getting to go to E3 and try any game for any amount of time is an insane privilege that many people are jealous of even us having the opportunity to do it's just it's just kind of sad that the old setup is apparently part of a bygone era now like I feel like it's like a piece of E3 has died in a weird way but I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm overthinking. It's like, what's your take? This is your first C3, but you've done ConCon time and time again. Would you rather have one and done, or would you rather have the option to cycle back or stand in a standby line or whatever? One and done. One and done? I'm not a much of a person that just wants to play the demo as much as possible. Even for Smash? Especially, like, just, like, more recently. Like, I'm just, like, if this... Honestly, like, Smash Brothers, I'm, like, 
that's the only game I would want to honestly like just try beforehand. Yeah. And even then, just playing it once, I'd be satisfied and just like, all right, I'll wait. Just want to know if it has the weight to it and everything, right? Like the um, mechanics in place that you need, and even then, like, I don't know. I think it's just not even for that. I just want to be able to play it once, just to be so, able to say yeah. I played it like beforehand. Right. Like that's the only game I really care about doing that. Anything else, I could honestly be happy not demoing anything. I'm I've become a lot more. I guess patient for lack of a better term. You're growing up. Like when I see like this game announcement or that game announcement, I just be like, all right, cool, it's coming out. I'm just gonna wait for it to come out. Right. And that's pretty much it. As boring as that sounds, it does sound boring. Yeah, it is. But, <laughs> like I, I, but, I, even but I'm just per- for but this... I'm perfectly content. Just like I'm happy that I don't have to wait on a long line. I'm happy that it's right. coming at a set time and you just play your games and then move on with your life. Yeah. I think for me, part of it's because literally like... move on with your life, Jason. Wow, last is gang. Support group status here. No, but like, I think for me, part of it's just because, like, I want to try different things in the demo and come back and be able to talk about it on the podcast. Honestly, that's what it boils down to. So, like, like Mario Odyssey, I played three or four times over the course of E3 last year because I was like, I want to see every level. I want to try different paths on those levels. I want to have like a holistic view of it. But yeah, if it's just for the sake of like see, saying you the, played the, it, then he, once is probably fine. See, because that, that's also like, my big issue with playing a demo a lot of time for that exact reason that you just described. You don't want the holistic view. Yeah, like, I don't... Like, I'm gonna comb through the game when I get it. Like, when I played through the demo at Best Buy and I played through, like, some of New Donk City, um, when I got to do it at home, it was just like, oh, I already did this. I just, right. Let me, just, let me get through this. That, that's actually kind of cool thing about E3, which you'll get to experience like, this like, year, is um, you notice changes. Like, when I demoed it at E3 and then when I played it at home, minor changes. But, like, the heads-up display was different. The UI was different. Like, some of the level placement mm-hmm. stuff See, was so a little, little different. Those are irrelevant changes. I mean, oh, they are. No, they are. You're right. Like, I know there are some people that, some studios that do do, like, just exclusive demos that are literally just a demo. Yeah. Like, not, like it's not part of the game. You're doing a completely different scenario. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, that. That's fine, but something like Smash, where obviously that's not the case. Yeah, but Smash is a it's a fighting game. Like you're gonna play it like for thousands of hours, pretty much doing the same thing every time. I love how you just made my whining about E3 lines look even whinier by being like, "No, nah, Jason, it doesn't matter." And like, but but but, what if I want to stand in line for eight hours a day? I mean, it makes sense from a journalistic standpoint. I mean, those people do have to play the game over and over again because there are people that do want to know are the mechanics still in play or right. just how the mechanics feel or right. how does the level design feel and you do have to play multiple times to really make sure that your point of view is accurate mm-hmm. and for those people it does make sense to want to be able to play it again it sucks for those journalists that aren't going to have that opportunity with Smash Brothers yeah. they're going to have to make sure they're really paying attention and like, or be high enough up the food chain to actually get Nintendo's private demo room yeah but which I mean, is not thing. everyone is but, we're not yeah. Nintendo hook us up I know someone out there from Nintendo has once listened to us, <laughs> but so I guess I don't know. Maybe it's also because like I know we're not high up in the future chain that it's just kind of like why why bother? Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I mean, and don't get me wrong. Like this is a much better system in the grand scheme of things. Like safety wise, it's a lot smarter because you want to stampede. Time usage wise, it's a lot better because you can actually go explore E three. It's just like I don't. I, I'm just I just miss the having the option to carve out a chunk of my life to go stand in line. Should I choose to waste away and wilt away in line like that, but. But I will say, for all that, uh, Nintendo does still know how to build word of mouth and use E3 to their marketing advantage. Like, you know, I was saying they got rid of the big lines. That kind of sucks. But they're also doing, I don't know if you heard about this, they're giving away pins, limited edition custom pins this year to anyone who they spot on the show floor with a Switch playing it. 
And I don't know if you remember a year ago when I came back from you and talked about it. I was saying that I noticed a lot of people brought their Switches and it was kind of almost like a cool communal vibe among attendees because I was like, oh yeah, let's play Mario Kart. Let's come and do this, this or that or whatever. And it seems like Nintendo's picking up on that too with this because basically what they're doing is they're making the Switch look like the hottest thing at the show. Because even if you're over in the Sony booth or the Microsoft wherever they are, or Ubisoft or whatever, if you're standing in line with a Switch and you're playing Switch with friends and then you're in the background of a shot of a game or in the background of a news piece or people are just walking around and they see all these people huddled with Switches, that's great marketing for Nintendo. It makes Switch look amazing. Like, you're in the Sony booth, but you're still playing your Nintendo. Something must be cool about that Nintendo. So to have, like, a street team walking through the halls giving out pins to people playing Switch wherever they may be playing it is a really clever way to sort of try to replicate the Nintendo's the coolest thing there feeling that they lost with the booth line. So so to Nintendo's credit, they are sort of circumventing their own issue here, but but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss the giant line in a weird, sadistic way. That is weird. It is. But with that said, enough of the first world E three proms. There is another rumor to get back to, which is Pokemon. This practically uh, came back to back with the Star Fox rumor, which was actually kind of weird. They were like a day apart. Um, and up to this point, all we've known is that there's a mainline entry in the Pokemon franchise coming to Switch. And now here we are on nearly the one year anniversary of learning that. And we're starting to find out that this game may actually shake some things up in some kind of interesting ways. Um, I'm, I'm not even sure where to begin with this one, honestly, but maybe, maybe the best place is just start with the name. Because the name kind of encompasses everything about it. So they're supposedly calling the two new versions of Pokemon for Switch, Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, and Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. Which, in case you think is ridiculous and not true, those domains are already registered by the company that registered the Pokemon Sun and Moon domains. So they're probably pretty legit. And the first thing that comes to mind is, I guess Eevee's now a co-mascot of Pokemon. I don't know when this happened. When did Eevee rise up in the ranks to be as important as Pikachu? Because Eevee's everywhere right now. I mean, I don't know. I feel like Eevee's... There's, been Eevee's around. been like, yeah, but there's like a handful of Pokemon that have been around. But like, Eevee's like, they, it's one of the only other characters to get a full costume in Japan. They've trademarked Eevee as a name to use for merchandise in China. Like, there's there's merchandise everywhere for it. It's it's in the promo art. They always pair it with, pair Eevee with Pikachu now in photos and stuff. Like, when did this... Good for Eevee, but like, when did this happen? I, I did not notice... I wonder if it's all in preparation for this. Like, were they slowly for the last two years just like... You know, one day, Eevee's going to be a Pokemon version. We're going to creep, creep her up the food chain. And is it her or he? I guess it could be either. It could be either. could be either. Yeah. Just like Pikachu. That's true. But Pikachu has different tails to indicate its gender. Eevee has nothing. I want to say it does. Does it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does. I don't know. But I don't Maybe know. Maybe ears are different. I don't know. Anyway, point is, the game's called Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu and Pokemon Let's Go Eevee. And while arguably a more childish-sounding name than the typical naming scheme they use for Pokemon, uh, the names, if these rumors are correct, actually align with a lot of the, so far, not-quite-as-confirmed information we're hearing about these new Pokemon games. Namely, the role of support Pokemon and ties in, uh, the way it ties into Pokemon Go. So one rumor going around is that depending on the version you get, either Pikachu or Eevee, uh, those respective Pokemon will actually follow you around Pokemon Yellow style, which is sort of fed into this idea that the entire game might actually take place back in Kanto with the original 150 Pokemon and kind of bring back the whole feud between Red and Blue or Ash and Gary, whatever you want to call them. And essentially, it's a remake of Pokemon Yellow, but possibly set 100 years after Gen 1, which goes against the Red and Blue 
the red and blue, blue feud, but maybe they mean it advances in some way. I don't really know. Rumors conflict, but that's kind of what we're looking at right now is a Pokemon Yellow semi-remake, semi-new thing that refocuses on the original Pokemon and has the Pokemon Yellow, like, hooks. So, status check. How are you feeling about that as a setting? As a Pokemon fan, what do you think of going back to Kanto and getting the original 150 again? Uh, I mean, like I said about other Pokemon games, as long as the battling system is still there, they could go anywhere. It doesn't really make a difference to me. Well, I know you're in it for the battle, but I mean, like, are you... Are you really, it doesn't matter at all in terms of, like, if it's new Pokemon or old Pokemon? No, not really. I always... I don't know why. I would have guessed that you would have wanted more variety in terms of new Pokemon to learn and figure out the moves of versus falling back uh, I mean, on, like, existing ones that you already know everything about. I mean, if I was avidly keeping up with Pokemon, yes, but... After um, Sun, I've kind of gone back to my, I need a break from Pokemon. Like, I didn't even get Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon. They introduced, oh, they introduced a handful. Oh, yeah, that's right. I know you did. They introduced you're a handful of new Pokemon. So I'm actually, I'm still currently in my, I'm not going to touch Pokemon. I'm not going to bother with Pokemon for a good long while. Mm. Like, until something is really, really updated. So right now, the setting doesn't matter. Right. It comes it's down what to they do with the game. It comes down to the mechanics of the battle and the mechanics of getting to said battles, whether they have this simulator that I would always want or Your dream just some sort simulator. of like sped up training system or just, just something. something. Right. So that that's what I care about. So anything around that, they could do whatever. Sure. I mean sense. the setting. I mean I don't know. It, it sounds all I, all I get from it is like all right, cool. That means Pinsir will be there. Yeah, I, I'm actually fine with this. Like I know, I know. I prefer the earlier Pokemon designs, and I know what you're going to say about that. Like, they're all the same, Jason. You just like them because you're used to them. But it's true. I do. So I'm totally okay with them going back to those. And it's, it does make sense to me in the same way that I felt. I mean, they got a sale from you already, so. Possibly. Probably. I don't know. I need to see the game. But it does make sense to me in the same way that I was saying making a proper Diddy Kong Racing sequel makes more sense than Star Fox Grand Prix. It does make sense to go back to Pokemon Yellow since the 90s are so in right now and everyone's eating up that nostalgia. Like, why not milk it? Why not? Pokemon Yellow is its own thing that they never really recreated. They did red-blue multiple times, but why not hook into yellow? Like, I'm totally cool with that. It has the Pokemon I want, so why not? And and it's it's actually... that's You know, that's, that's now that I think about it, that's why I liked Sun and Moon as much as I did is there were so many familiar Pokemon, but what they did is they just kind of remixed them, you know, with the Alolan forms. So... It still had that kind of like nostalgic feel and things I was familiar with, but it was still also kind of fresh. So depending on how they, depending on how they take, uh, let's go Pikachu and Eevee, like what direction they go in terms of freshness, yeah, do the same Pokemon. It's fine. You know, actually, the the Alolans are about to show up in Pokemon Go. Yeah, they're, they're like pretty fast cool. Yeah, I'm kind of excited for that. It should be cool. And and Pokemon Go brings us to the other half of the Pokemon Let's Go game rumors. Uh, this half sounds a bit more plausible than the conflicting information on it's 100 years in the future but red and blue are there but they're whatever and it comes from actually some reputable people so sources like emily rogers who more often than not is right about these things have been talking this up and it the is kiss the of idea death for what? the kiss of death for falsification i guess almost if she wait what do you mean no, like, if like, she, like, like if she if she's the if one she that says she, no it's not gonna happen no like if she's spreading the rumor then odds are it's probably true Oh yeah, I'm, I'm and, but yeah. I'm thinking like like unfortunately. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I, 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 I'm not opposed to this idea. I, I, I will get into later when we talk about rumors. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not opposed to what she's suggesting here, which is no. The idea. I, I know, I know. What she's saying is uh, what I'm saying is the, you fact, mean the that fact that she, she says the it. fact that she's saying yeah. it at all. We'll get to that in a sec. Just, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think what she's saying is let's go. We'll integrate some aspects of Pokemon Go and even connect to the app 
in some capacity, potentially via an accessory. And that's coming from her and that's coming from other people. And the idea being floated around is that, to your point about what happens around battles, the idea being floated around is that the catching system is going to borrow from Go. Which could mean anything from your you see Pokemon in the wild now, no more random encounters, to something more absurd like Pokemon battles are being replaced with feeding berries to Pokemon and tossing balls yourself or whatever. Mm-hmm. And well, tossing mini games. that would yeah. My gut feeling is it has to be the former, as in you now see Pokemon on a world map. Maybe there's a radar to guide you where they are, and then you go and fight them should you choose to do so. And that's only because I don't see any possible way to make the actual catching mechanic of Pokemon Go work with the Joy-Con in, like, a fun, not boring way. Like, unless, you know, unless they're dumbing down Pokemon so much and the Pokemon Let's Go name is slightly kitty because it's literally my my first Pokemon game, there's no way the catching mechanic can just be, you know, flick the stick at the Pokemon. You got him. Yay. <laughs> like, that just sounds too, you know, too rudimentary, right? Yeah. So, like, a radar invisibility of wild Pokemon would be super cool. It's a really good way to modernize the formula a bit. I think, to your point about the faster you get to building a team and battling... That would help achieve your goal because you can actually like seek out exactly the Pokemon you need. Exactly. So like it that I think would be a great improvement, right? Yeah. So who knows if it's actually going to do it? Who knows how true these rumors are? But it, let's say it is true. I think from a design decision perspective, just any sort of Pokemon Go hook in, whether it's the one like this or just the app that connects in some way, having that makes sense to me. Like Pokemon Sun and Moon benefit benefited i can talk pokemon sun and moon is what i was trying to say benefited from some laps pokemon fans you know jumping back in um they they got pokemon go then they used that as kind of the bridge into pokemon sun and moon so if nintendo's basically doubling down on that idea and having pokemon go be a bigger bridge to get more laps fans onto switch that seems like a great opportunity i mean if, if i remember correctly nintendo was gonna do that with sun and moon they said before it came out that go and sun and moon would hook together in some way never happened so i imagine they're just porting whatever the idea is and building on and bringing it to the switch version at this point and then if you couple that with recent contra nintendo's incoming new president um shintaru furukawa it really starts to seem like this is inevitable like this rumor is 100 is most likely true i mean he was saying in interviews that nintendo wants to better synergize synergize their mobile games with their console games and i mean what better game to do that with than pokemon go like pokemon go is the very game that furukawa Furukawa, I can't talk anymore. What is happening? I'm just devolving. Uh, no, but uh, Pokemon Go is the very game that he was saying is proof that Nintendo can make mobile into a business, like their own pillar of business. Mobile doesn't have to be part of the IP expansion. Mobile can be its own entire platform for making money for Nintendo, and he pointed to Pokemon Go as proof of that. So he's the guy that wants to synergize games. Pokemon suddenly has a name that relates to Go. It all the game that he's citing is that game it all kind of comes together very nicely to make it seem like very very likely you know yeah. so yeah i think much like Star Fox sounded kind of absurd on the surface but makes sense once you think about it like it's just an extension of the on rails gameplay pokemon switch doing major go tie-ins both on a gameplay perspective from a gameplay perspective and like having a similar ma- naming scheme also makes sense for the exact same reason like at this point I'm just curious to see what the game looks and feels like. Like, are we talking about an HDifying of the Sun and Moon engine? Are we talking about some new behind the back perspective, like third person? We're we talking about something in between. I it's at this point we don't really know, but we should find out soon because um, Nintendo has never announced a mainline Pokemon game at E3. They always come via the Pokemon Company in a Pokemon Direct in the weeks leading into E3, which we're now in. So literally, by the time people are listening to this, 
they um they may know more than we do. This conversation may be moot by the time this goes up. I mean, not by Sunday, but you know, by Monday or Tuesday, it could already happen. And that leads to a different question entirely. That leads to the conversation you've been wanting to have for a while, and we keep start pushing off, which is: Are these leaks a good or a bad thing at this point? Like, I don't necessarily mean from a business perspective, because any sort of buzz is you could argue is good buzz. Yeah, I mean, you know, if we're talking about like. The quote-unquote greater good, like, sure, leaks. Yeah, you can never talk about a game too much. Yeah, leaks can be a good thing. I mean, to your point, leaks were, I would say, yeah, they're a great thing for Rabbit. They got people mm-hmm. over the concept, and by the time it came out, people were, like, for the most part, it looked like everyone was just on board for it. So, in that case, yeah, i say leaks are a great thing. But for me personally, and I guess this could extend out to people that agree or disagree, like, I am so sick and tired of just leaks. I just want <laughs> nothing more but to leaks for everyone just to shut up and just let E3 come and just watch the press con and see what gets announced. And I could be fun to speculate. Speculating is always fun. But rumors, I feel, just kill any fun that there is in E3. Because as soon as you come up with a, a leak, if it ends up being true, any excitement that announcement could have had is completely gone. Like, if I hadn't heard anything about the Mario and Rabbids crossover, I would have been probably just significantly more surprised because the amount of surprise I was when they was announced was zero. It was, oh, it's true? Okay. Like, that's pretty much what every announcement after a leak comes out amounts to when it is true. Yeah. Like, I miss just being completely surprised. I think, I think for me, like... Because I still care about that. That's, like, the one thing that I... You like the surprise that I like about E three, yeah. just getting surprised by game reveals. I think I think for me, and I mean a hundred percent surprise. So people will still argue like, oh, but we don't know if it's true, and then if it's another, still surprise. It's not surprise. Yeah, you can't have a surprise birthday party when they're like, by the way, when you get home, you might see some friends. It's like, oh, well, I know there's something yeah. coming versus total surprise. I want something yeah. to come out of total left field, and it sucks when these total left field games get leaked beforehand. Yeah, I think. I mean, as anyone who's listened to us for the last... How long have we been recording already? I can't I can't see the clock. But for over... 45 minutes. Okay, so for 45 minutes, we've been speculating. For many episodes, we speculate. Like, for anyone that listens to the show, they know, especially me, you to some extent too, but, like, I love speculating. Like, I have a lot of fun just trying to predict what Nintendo may do and why. You know, go full armchair analyst and just go to town. So when something leaks, I'm kind of all about it. Like, I don't mind... I'm... Like, I really enjoy the conversations we just have about Star Fox and Pokemon because it's just kind of fun to be like, okay, what if they do this? Why would they do that? What about this? What about that? But all that said, I agree. There is absolutely something special about a complete and I mean, total I'm in a, surprise. I mean, I'm in a Nintendo podcast. I mean, I can't not talk about Right, it. right. But I mean, like, I, like, go on my way to, like, read up on these things. While you, I feel like some of the time intentionally... Past me... Or uh, having what, me tell you for the first time because you don't want to get too deep into it. Yeah, past me would have definitely, like gone to every website and try to find out more but now i just i just don't want yeah to no know. i agree i think there is something for sure to be said about complete and total surprises i mean i remember we used to watch the e3 press conferences in college us and some friends and you know the freak out that ensued when metroid other m popped up out of nowhere and when kid Icarus uprising appeared out of nowhere or the sheer confusion we felt as we watched the wii u presentation we're like is it a controller or is it a system and then when it ended with nintendo land where it's like that's it like if we knew about nintendo land it, that that's it while it was still like that was more of a visceral reaction it'd be even less of a oh you know what i mean like that that kind of that kind of helped it so i i think part of it though i mean same thing with like character reveals like smash brothers the roster was revealed or leaked a few weeks before it came out yeah 
And that definitely like took a lot of his thunder. Like the Duck Hunt reveal could have been awesome. The, the Bowser Junior reveal. I, could I have think been awesome. you know. I think some of. I think, the... I think one of the worst ones, if not presently the worst one for me, was um, Ryu getting revealed because that was I think the day before. It was revealed. No, it was like an hour before or something. like we that. We were in line for the Smash. No, I remember seeing pictures and videos the day the night. Oh, before. you're right. It was the night before. Yeah, it was late the night. Before. I mean, like Roy, sure, whatever. That's cool. But like Ryu, like. I was kind of hoping he was always like one of those characters that I hope would get into Smash Brothers, even if I wouldn't really use him, just because I love Street Fighter. He's an actual fighting game character; it mm-hmm. makes sense. But yeah, I just took all the thunder from it. Like that would have been like a I could have maybe like actually shown my excitement in an outward fashion. But because the one time I've ever seen you excited is when the Ninja Turtles showed up to Injustice Two for no rhyme or reason, and See, you were totally caught guard. And I was driving over here to record a podcast, and I get here, and you were in mid meltdown, and I've never seen that much energy come out of you. And you were like, it was nuts. It was like I wasn't sure if you were mentally okay or not. Like it was crazy. Yeah, I don't know if it can get any better than that. I mean, that's Ninja Turtles yeah, that's, we're talking that's about. Your... Done, literally done their justice in a game called Injustice. But yeah, I don't know. I. I just want that. I want that magic again. Yeah, I think you know. I think some of the feelings that we got Honestly, from I'm watching. Not, I'm, even, I'm even kind of bothered that Nintendo bothered to tell us that we're working on Metroid Prime Four. It's like, why? You just showed us. The need, I mean, from a business perspective, I guess. I know. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I know you mean. I know. Side. I know. I'm a, I'm a You're video, a fan first. I'm a gamer. A I, fan first. I mean, if I was a. a I don't know a shareholder. Then sure, I'd be like, "Yes, thank you." We're gonna <laughs> My get stocks it. going up ten cents now. Yeah, but but I'm not that. Like, oh yeah. I think you know. I think part of it is to be honest. I think it's Screw a different you, Nintendo. Screw it's you. a different day and age now. Like some like when I was describing, you know, we watched the E3 press conference. It's really exciting to have it live in a room with people. Like some of those feelings are replicated with Nintendo Directs and following along with friends on social media or in the same room. I mean, Smash Bros. The surprise of Smash Bros. Earlier this year, that fits that bill. That to me was really exciting and huge. But I'd argue like the impact of almost every surprise is weaker now than it was back when things were live because everything's pre-recorded. Like one of my favorite things from E3 conferences were the audience reactions. I used to watch that first Twilight Princess video from E3 2014. Every day uh, 2004. before it went to sleep. No, but I used to watch it over and over. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yes, of course. I used to watch it over and over and over. And it's, I, I, I'm not it's even kidding. It's as iconic as like Evil Moment 37. As what moment? Evil Moment 37? Or is it 36? I, well, two. I don't even know what you're referencing. Wow. So I can't be that iconic. Evil Moment? Evo. Evo. Still no, because I don't watch Evo. But yeah, it's you know it's one of those big moments in gaming. I'll, I'll show right? it to you. Yeah, show me after. But yeah. And the thing is, I watched it over and over and over, and I, I would get... I'm not even kidding. This sounds ridiculous. I literally, every time the audience freak out... Like, every time the audience freak out, he hit its peak... And Miyamo came out with the Master Sword. I would, like, kind of get chills. Like, I was a weird, nerdy 16-year-old, is what I'm saying. It literally gave me chills. But, like, seeing that or seeing live reactions to, you know, being at Nintendo's E306 conference where they showed the Wii and they revealed Mario Galaxy and Metroid Prime 3 for the first time and kind of just, like, hearing people freak out and, like, soaking up that energy, that got me way more hyped than a modern day reveal because you kind of feed off that energy you know like it's, it's visceral versus now whether you learn about a game from a leak or from nintendo direct to me it's all the same at the end of the day because you go online you go on twitter you go on a forum and everyone's there saying omg omg or like wtf wtf and they're gonna be overanalyzing the decision they're gonna be talking back and forth and that can happen at the time nintendo chooses you know to make something official through a direct or that can happen if it gets leaked prematurely. Like, to me, they're both the same 
thing in that they're missing that visceral live reveal feel where you have people actually fully like freaking out. You just see people behind keyboards and that can happen whether or not the reveal yeah. is you know is and, and, and honestly, planned or leaked. Yeah, and honestly like as you were saying, because it's visceral and more real, like I, even I get some like enjoyment out of it. I when I see some reaction videos to yeah. me, I don't know. Sure, like maybe those people really are that excitable, but it just feels fabricated. Like to me, like ninety percent of the time, like unless I. But you could tell when it's real. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can tell, but I would say still, like even I still stand by that. Like ninety percent of them feel mm-hmm. like over exaggerated, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like um, bringing us back to two, three weeks ago when we saw Infinity Wars. There was kind of something something nice about like hearing everyone's like reactions to when something happened towards the end. Spoiler. And We're not gonna say it. Don't worry. Yeah, and it was just like, oh, wow, like, people, I don't know, it was pretty cool just to hear right? people's genuine reaction. Yeah, and see, that I mean, like, like, I had zero reaction, but I kind of got enjoyment out of that. Right? And it, see, it almost made that part... That much better. It, it made my lack of investment in Marvel in general almost worth it. <laughs> because <laughs> I, could, I could get right. it from them. Right, yeah, no, there there is a communal aspect to... Finding out something crazy, yeah. Whether it's like, it's good like, or bad. Let me borrow some of your excitement, right? Ah, right. It, it. It's like, and and the problem is now that everything's digital and pre-recorded and whatnot, we don't have that anymore. So, would I have cared if Star Fox and Pokemon got leaked in the heyday of Nintendo press conferences at E3? Yeah. Do I care now? Nope. Like now, it's for me, it's the same at the end of the day, whether it's official or not. I know. Back then, I would not have liked it. Now I'm. Fine I think, with I think it. I'm just being an old man and just trying to like. No, there's like, something to be said for that. You're trying to go back to the old days. No, there's definitely something to be said for that because part of it's also like – I mean I'm sitting here saying oh, the thing that got me excited was other people getting excited, which is weird. Like do I not have my own excitement? Like, <laughs> So like you are saying you don't like leaks because you genuinely as an individual can get excited about something just by seeing it whatever. And that's true for me too. But uh, for some reason, a lot of my excitement is dependent on other people's excitement. So for me, it's not as much of a loss if I have a leak, you know? I will say that the one downside of leaks that is probably true regardless of when a leak happened, you know, press conference days, modern days, whatever, is that obviously they don't all pan out. So if you assume something to be true, you end up being disappointed when it's not, you know? Like so far, Switch hasn't had many or really any of these situations, which is nice. I mean, even like games like Crash Bandicoot, it was leaked, it was denied, it was leaked, it was denied, (laughs) it was leaked, it was denied, and oh, hey, it's real. Well, you know. So... If something like, let's say, Call of Duty ends up coming to Switch in any capacity, that that's like, okay, yeah, the leaks were right, and that's fine. And whether or not you're excited, it's like, okay, at least the leaks were right. But what the downside is, is if it doesn't come to Switch, people are now just mad at Activision because they didn't fulfill a promise they never made. You know what I mean? Like, they're yeah. literally – you kind of already see it happening with, with these recent cons. There are two leads at, uh, at Treyarch, the developers of Black Ops 4, and these two leads were asked point blank. Are there plans to bring any aspect of Black Ops 4 to the Switch? And they said no. That, of course, you know, uh, doesn't gel with the rumors that we're getting the Battle Royale mode as a Switch title, uh, now officially called Blackout. That's the name of the Battle Royale mode. And the rumor was, at E3, they're going to announce for Switch, Call of Duty Blackout. And we talked about it on the show before, and it sounded great, and everything's dandy. But now if you have, you know, Treyarch coming out saying, well, that's not happening... Like, maybe, maybe not. You know, Crash was denied multiple times, too. So maybe it's still happening. I'm not saying it's a for sure no or a for sure yes. But you have people online that are now mad at Treyarch because they didn't fulfill this promise they never made. But because mm-hmm. the leaks seem so solid, 
that they assumed it was bound to be true and now that's not their bum and that to me is the bigger problem with leaks is like sure we could have had a 20 minute conversation about star fox grand prix and you know what maybe it wasn't true but we can look back on this podcast in a year and be like ha that was a fun conversation that's funny that we thought that was real and we won't care but someone listening somewhere may not to us but to the rumor somewhere on the internet is like oh yeah that's happening and then when it's not they're extremely disappointed or they're mad or whatever it may be and they have some sort of gut you know like emotional reaction that they shouldn't have to go through because like it was never a thing it's a leak you you know take it with a grain of salt and the problem is leaks are so common now that a lot of people don't they believe them as fact so it, it that's that's i think where leaks are having Wait, a, a problem no, rumors cuz aren't leaks essentially unconfirmed facts and right, rumors but, are unconfirmed um speculation rumors and leaks you could argue are ones unless there's some way to cause, verify cause, cause, the cause leak because I, I consider a leak like something that you know is, is basically true okay it, well, just, it just needs official confirmation so it depends on how you're viewing a leak like it's a leak to you when smash happened and it's like here's a screenshot of ryu here's a video of ryu or is it like the dude that reported the call duty blackout coming to switch he said it was leaked from an inside source that's a rumor okay so, because technically they're all leaks and they're all rumors. Nothing's official until it's official. So I was kind of using them interchangeably. But I see your point. Yeah. So yeah, even mean, rumors, even rumors, leaks, rumors, regardless, people, you yeah, know, yeah. at this point, they believe a lot of stuff online because, you know, more often than not, especially with Switch, it's turned out to be true. We have not had a thing not happen yet that I can think of. So especially on the third party front. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. And it, it's even more so going to probably become an issue because I bet Fortnite is going to end up going through this exact same cycle pretty soon. Because European gaming site Game Reactor, they noticed that the developer Iron Galaxy, who handled the Switch port of Skyrim, they listed a Switch port of Fortnite in a job description recently and then yanked it. Um, so Game Reactor may have overreacted? They may have overreacted, or or Iron Galaxy may have screwed up and put the Fortnite in there. There is no Fortnite for Switch, but they're saying we are you know, the company behind the ports of Skyrim and Fortnite for Switch. It's like, well, what are you talking about? That doesn't exist. So now, of course, see, that seems like a leak, right? It's apparently from the developer. But did Game, is that, did game Reactor actually – they have no screenshot. They just put the text. So is it real? That's a rumor. People, right, but people will interpret it as being more than that. And what's going to happen is – I know. I know. People will but, – But it's because there has yet to be a wrong one for Switch. So it's just kind of a weird scenario. And and then the thing is like Fortnite makes so much sense on Switch. I would love to see Fortnite on Switch. I mean it's the biggest game in the world, right? It runs well Fortnite on Fortnite Battle Royale, right? Yeah, Battle Royale. It runs on not, phones. Not, not Fortnite. No, not Fortnite. normal Fortnite that no one plays. Let's be real yeah. here. We mean Battle Royale. But it um, – yeah, it already runs really well on phones, so it's easy to bring the Switch. It has the aesthetics that feel right at home with Nintendo. Switch is a multiplayer first machine. It's a multiplayer first game. Like it all makes perfect sense. Literally so, every child is playing it. Literally every like, – literally man, every, woman, and child. Every single child. Like I don't know any of like maybe 20, 25 students that I randomly asked if they were playing Fortnite. Like twenty four of them. It's a new Minecraft. Yeah, maybe bigger than Minecraft. Right now, probably yeah. Yeah, they still love Minecraft to death. You know they're doing like a huge tournament at uh, E three. They're gonna have fifty celebrities and fifty pro Fortnite people team up and play each other. And then separate from that, Epic is investing a hundred million dollars in prize money for a Fortnite tournament, like esport. It's huge. It's insane. But yeah, it makes total sense on Switch. So you know, you see a rumor or a leak. Take your pick of apparently Iron Galaxy listing it as a game they're working on and you line up all the reasons I just said for why it makes sense and if it doesn't happen you're just like well what happened what come on epic why aren't you bringing it and it's just like that was never they never said they were it's just the leak becomes such ingrained so ingrained I hope in people it that ends up not real. being true cuz I would hope Iron Galaxy is working on like 
a successor or something of fighting game related because it did such a good job with Killer Instinct. I didn't even realize that they gave the Killer Instinct guys a Skyrim port. That's weird. Yeah. That's really weird. And no, they kept multiple teams. I mean, like... Um, oh, you're right. I mean, I don't know how big they are. I the just assume because they're not, like... You're probably right. They're not the huge. They're, they're, like, hired by Microsoft to make Killer Instinct for them. I thought they were just, like, big enough to do, like, one No, you're probably right. Game. You're probably right. Um, But, it, yeah, it's... Hey, I mean, I want someone to bring Fortnite to Switch, whether it's them or someone else. But, you know, to, to my point, now I'm sitting here going, yeah, Fortnite's going to come to Switch at some oh, point. Like, I'm saying it like it's happening. you got to do your own dirty work. Not... Yep, I'll just learn to code. I'm going to take a break from the podcast for a few months, go build Fortnite I mean, people Switch. are already hacking the, the Switch. And, and getting banned for it. And getting, like, yeah. Mario costume super Dude, by the way, how annoying is it that people are hacking the Switch? Like, it's fine for homebrew. It's fine for put emulators, whatever. But, like, don't go ruin other people's fun. Don't go into Splatoon and make yourself invincible or give yourself cautions you're not supposed to have or data mine things that, like, to your leaking point, data mine things that Nintendo's going to reveal soon enough. Oh, There's yeah, no the benefit. Mario Tennis stuff. Yeah, all the Mario Tennis characters are out there. I'm purposely avoiding that because, like, I don't need to know that. Like, some stuff on some level is fine. Like, knowing a game's coming out is fine, but to give every nitty-gritty detail. And then once they have those nitty-gritty details you go into the game and ruin the game for them once it's out like why what i don't understand this whole i find joy in someone else's misery in the game like i don't get that at all i don't i don't understand yeah i, I agree with you like finding joy in someone else's yeah. some stranger's misery but i could take pleasure in your specific misery but you know me i'm not a stranger yeah, and i know that's yeah and that's so, different so maybe after like the podcast i may spoil like the martin is no don't you dare don't game. don't you're actually very good about not spoiling things when i ask you so keep it up Maybe I shouldn't have said this and just done it. No, no, I know. I already know it's out there, but um, yeah, no, but like, no, that's... I know, but I mean, I've seen it, so I could just. Oh no, don't, don't. But um, yeah, like I don't understand why people need to do that. It's just it's different than see to me. That's a different type of leak than the leaks we were just talking about. Because the leaks we were just talking about are like that's a hazardous leak. <laughs> yeah, like the leaks we were talking about are like okay, so you know this game's coming, whatever. But to be like, oh, you're buying this game, you want to know everything about it? No, well, guess what? <laughs> that's like, that's, still. that's yeah, exactly. It's like it's bad. I I don't know. I just I don't get it. But whatever. Uh, and, and you know, let's just move on from the leak things. Let's just let's just move on from the rumors. There was official news to be had these last couple weeks as well. A lot of companies seem to want to get their games out that would normally be buried in the E3 avalanche, so they're sort of putting them out in front of people now. So we're getting a lot of smaller, less core-oriented games. Um, you know, there's stuff like Gal Metal, that air drumming game in oh, Japan yeah. for the Switch. That's now coming west, courtesy of XC Games in the fall. And then we also learned that Layton's Mystery Journey, uh, yeah, Mystery Journey, the spin-off Professor Layton game coming to Switch in Japan at least. But the uh, so the ones I want to talk about a little more meat on the, the bone here, um, they're a bit more noteworthy because well, one is from Nintendo, and this one is the surprise reveal of Go Vacation, which I, I should actually qualify a bit. It's actually from Bandai Namco. It's just being published by Nintendo, and it's actually not even a new game, but it's a remaster of a game from the Wii days. Hmm. So, Go Vacation, if you've never heard of it. Did you, did you know Go Vacation? When they showed this trailer, we're like, oh, a new game. We're like, I remember that. I haven't even seen the trailer. Oh, well, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, uh, no, Go Vacation, I watched it. I'm like, what is this? And then I realized, oh, it's a really old game. It's literally from, like, back in the day. It was originally... Wait, maybe I do. Oh. It, was re- it was originally released... Maybe as I describe it, it'll jog your memory. But it originally came out during the peak of the Wii's casual era. It was kind of Bandai Namco's spin on Wii Sports Resort. 
And where it stood apart is that it was generally more gamey than uh, Wii Sports was, for lack of a better term. So, like, ultimately, it's still a bunch of mini-games scattered around an island. There's 50 of them, to be precise. Uh, but they're linked together by an open world. You could customize your character's outfit. You could customize your hotel villa your character was staying in on his vacation. There are hundreds of pieces of furniture to put in it. You could get a pet dog. You customize your dog, both how it was dressed and its breed, which is weird that you get a pet dog and you later decide what breed it is. But video games, am I right? And, um, you know, it's all that sort of thing. And the game also separated itself from Wii Sports Resort by offering daily challenges you had to hunt down on the island and find. That sounds tedious. And But, but well, apparently that's <laughs> part of the game because you get to drive all these different vehicles with motion controls to explore the island and you drive to each of the four main like resorts, which had the four different types of mini games. That sounds fun. There you go. So, um... It sounds like all this is coming to the Switch version. Just updated to support, you know, Joy-Con instead of Wii Remote. So there's still going to be 50 mini-games. They're going to span four, like I said, uh, like, resorts. So they're going to have everything from volleyball and tennis to scuba diving and horseback riding to skydiving to skateboarding to, like, wave running. To It's just it's a huge list of stuff. And the Switch version, they're also adding a photography mode. So as you explore the island, you can take pictures of up to, I think it's 40 different animals. And they're adding a new fishing mode that will be playable in two different sayings and have over 30 fish to catch. Plus, they're going to up the whole idea of discovering things on the island with surprise item drops. So, all in all, that's a lot of stuff for 50 bucks. Like, it certainly sounds like a more well-rounded package than Wii Sports Resort was back in the day. But it's just so, like, random. I mean, if you predicted that Go Vacation would be coming to Switch and be published by Nintendo... I think you should probably go buy a lottery ticket because you are you're winning the jackpot tonight. Like I don't know how anyone in a million years would have ever guessed that. And I like frankly completely forgot this game even existed. And it was, like I was saying, I was really baffled when I saw a trailer. I'm like, this new, this old, huh? Look at all the different. Resorts. I know, right? You're watching the trailer finally. Yeah, but isn't the game very much like a Wii Sports Resort wannabe? Like it, it has I mean, me's, but it's aesthetically very glance, similar. I, I wouldn't blame someone for mistaking that island for Woohoo Island, right? Yeah, but no, both. But this one's Ka- Kauai Island, which is kind of a funny name now, given that Kauai's kind of become a real term in English. Um, okay, so you're watching the trailer. What do you think of it? I mean, it's a actual vocabulary word. I know, I know, but right. it, it's used more. Oh yeah, yeah slangy yeah. now that you speak. So you're watching it right now. What's your like gut reaction? I mean, I kind of already told you everything about the game, but. Um, I don't know. It, it looks like the the bigger cousin to Let's Go Spelunking, Spelunking Party, Spelunker Party, Spelunker Party. Let's yeah. go Spelunking. No, that's <laughs> Let's Go Pikachu, and it's a Pokemon game. <laughs> but yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know. It, it just looks like I don't know if it's targeting us as much. No, as, yeah. it, it just seems like just another game. I I will I say it, it's more to me. It's more than just another game. It's actually real. I think it's a really interesting move by Nintendo because for one thing, it further solidifies the Bandai Namco relationship. I mean, they're making it and Tess publishing it, which, you know, just gives more credibility to those I mean, rumors. I mean, giving a surface-level impression. You're, like, diving deep into... Oh, fair, yeah. fair. But, uh, no, I, it, it does, you know, those rumors of Metroid Prime 4 and Ridge Racer coming to Switch from Bandai Namco, this kind of... Nintendo's publishing Go Vacation from uh, out of the blue. It seems connected in some way and Bandai, Bandai Namco has gone on to say that they're actually going to have even more original titles coming to Switch so they're they're all in on Switch but in terms of the game itself I looked it up and I think Go Vacation if my if where I found this information is true sold over a million copies on Wii so it's not like this well, it's not that. like this game like came out of nowhere fully I mean they're not banging the whole farm here but it has established itself as a successful game even if we forgot about it so what this does for Nintendo and why I think it's interesting about it is it lets them test the waters, essentially, 
to see if the Wii era's casual audience exists on Switch while still making a game that's significantly more gamey than, you know, yeah. anything we – yes, than, uh, than anything that us gamer – I lost my train of thought. But, yeah, it's a more gamey casual game essentially. So, like, if you look at the parallel between Wii Sports Resort and this, Nintendo's very clearly trying to make Lightning Strike twice. This game's releasing July 27th. That is almost to the week the same release period that Wii Sports Resort had years ago. It has the same summary vibe, the same kind of casual fun. And since it's a port, and it's by Nam- uh, Bandai Namco of all people, it's not a huge risk to take. Like, Nintendo could just farm it out, they get a game to boost for the summer to see if there's casuals out there, and it still feels new to a lot of people because it's a lesser-known game, but it doesn't require any assets or you know the resources to make an actual new game. It's kind of like the perfect sweet spot between being just recognized enough and they know it will do well enough because it did well before, but isn't familiar enough to anyone that actually matters. Plus, like I said, it's gamey. So like even if the casuals aren't there, it's more in tune with the known Switch user base of us, the core gamers, and that means that even even if their experiment fails, there's still going to be people that are buying it for the game side of it versus the like casual whatever pick-up-and-play side of it. So all in all, I I would say I don't know if I would buy it, but it's a very savvy move by Nintendo. Like it's, you know, even announcing it before E3, get it out of the way, is savvy. Since like, let's be honest, when we're talking about Smash Bros. impressions in three weeks, we're not going to be talk or four weeks, we're not going to be talking about Go Vacation. So it's very smart of them to move it ahead because now here we are spending ten minutes talking about Go Vacation. Here we are. Yep. So. I mean, honestly, that exact move of doing it ahead of time is probably the same reason why we're getting the Mario Tennis Aces um, pre-release tournament next week, June 1st through 3rd, and not during E3, which honestly is what I thought Nintendo was going to do because, you know, they don't want to bury their lead, so to speak. Like, give Mario Tennis a chance to shine and then move on from that. So you're, you're doing it, right? The pre-release tournament? Of course. Good. Me yes. too. Good chat. It's the only way you can get your Koopa. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's the only way. He's already known. It's okay. Wait, no. That's a spoiler. No, no it's the only way you can... He was known. You're right. It's the only but way... But it's the only way you can unlock points to unlock them. They said you have to unlock them through the tournament. I thought they meant in the regular game. So the way... The one thing they've confirmed is exclusive from the demo that transfers over to the final game is the classic Mario outfit to give Mario to play tennis in. I think the Koopa, you just have to rack up points in a tournament mode to get... So in this case, for the pre-release tournament, they've said you can unlock characters in the pre-release tournament and rack up points that way, but they do not transfer over, I don't think. Only the costume transfers over. I may be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, because that means Koopa faster for me, which is a good thing. Although, Chain Chomp with the tennis racket in his mouth, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's kind of hard to beat. I know, it is. But yeah, for those who don't know, because uh, if someone out there is missing the news, so basically what Nintendo's doing is Mario Tennis, free online tournament demo, uh... You complete. You compete with others online. You earn points, like I said, to unlock new characters within the demo. And once it's all over and done with, and you buy the full game, you get this Mario costume. And it's basically the Splatoon test fire. It's basically the Arms test punch. It just has a much more boring name of pre-launch online tournament. So that's happening. Uh, the demo file itself is actually already on the eShop. You can go download it now and then stare at the connect to server page. So if you feel like doing that, go for it. Um, it will be like that for the next seven days until the tournament begins. So you'll get real real cozy with that uh, Can't Connect page. And I, I don't know why. It always strikes me as kind of weird that we have a situation like this that exists where you can have an app or a game on your device 
and it only works when someone else somewhere else in the world decides to flip a switch for you and that's like oh suddenly the thing i've had for a week is now working and then they flip it again it's like oh the thing i had is now gone because well, i mean those things are meant to be deleted because they're just for i know event. i know i like obviously i get I it mean, don't tell me you still have your test punch and i do and test fire i, I do but i have plenty of storage so that's fine i'm a digital pack rat but no like i get it i know the worst kind i get it, the worst kind because it literally isn't even something you can do anything <laughs> with but no like i i clearly i get it it's just conceptually conceptually just i don't know like remember the metroid prime 3 preview channel back on the wii yeah yeah like what if everyone go back and see what that was like i can't it's just gone now like maybe 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 i just don't like ephemeral things i mean i i still prefer posting actual photos to an instagram feed over using instagram stories like i like having the ability to look back at stuff i like having a history of things like having a record of things so i guess that's where this comes from and, like, sure, I get for demos, maybe it's me caring too much, or for the preview channels, me caring too much. But there's also games starting to do it now. And that that's kind of where it's weird. Because, like, Sega, you know, Sega's bringing Fantasy Star Online to Switch, but it's in the cloud. And yeah. now we're learning that Capcom's jumping on the bandwagon with Resident Evil 7 Cloud Edition for Switch. Which also, as the name implies, cloud, is... Yeah. yeah, you get to play as cloud. It's a weird crossover. It makes no sense. You, you, you'd think you'd want a gun, but say you just have a really big sword... And and parachute pants and you just play as cloud, yeah. No, but it's it's like this one kind of felt like a long time coming, the Resident Evil thing. But I don't think it was quite how I expected. I I remember back when Switch came out, there are these stories that Capcom was asking for a RAM upgrade for the system, and Nintendo obliged, and we now have more RAM in the Switch thanks to Capcom. And at the time, my gut feeling was that it was either for a bigger, badder Monster Hunter, a crazy amount of animation in Ace Attorney, or realistically they're down resing resident evil 7 right that makes the most sense it's already not that high fidelity if you're playing non-vr it's easy to just scale it back some more but i guess it turned out that they it's are someone with no scaling experience exactly <laughs> no but uh, no i do but do, do you remember all the comments like when resident evil 7 came out people were like it's not it doesn't look that great in not vr like not just vr versus not vr like it literally isn't pushing the system in non-vr i mean, I mean it's pretty good it looks good I it mean, just isn't pinnacle like it could be down res pretty okay says the guy with no experience but we're, we ended up not getting that because maybe it is still too hard maybe my lack of experience is showing instead what we're getting is resident evil 7 running on a system that's somewhere else in the world and streaming to your switch through the cloud and it's tech that's been around for a while i mean fantasy yeah. stars doing it playstation now does it if you've ever tried that on tv i know there was a i forgot what it was called but i remember playing crisis 3 on my imac was it um it was it, it was a weird it wasn't name. Gakai, was it or what yeah, yeah it, it, it was Gaikai. Gaikai. that guy that became um either playstation now or geforce now which is uh nvidia's I version i want to say it was playstation now because i want to say I think it did. Yeah. yeah but yeah so like it's been around this text been around i mean even dragon quest 10 in japan if you were playing it on 3ds you were streaming it to your 3ds which is nuts to think about but um i think what what's throwing me in the loop here about resident evil kind of to my point about things disappearing is that well, first of all, they're doing this on a system that's designed to be played on the go. But it doesn't have any way to keep a reliable connection on the go. So they're charging Xbox. you. Yeah, but you can't do it over LTE. I mean, I guess you could, but there's latency issues and lag issues. And then they're charging you for it like it's a streaming service and not an actual game you own. Like, to play Resident Evil 7 Cloud Edition, you will cough up $18 every 180 days. Be now, in less than that. What? Yeah, I was about to say, now, on, first of all, you're probably going to be in less than that. And you are getting the game streaming from a high-end PC with all the DLC included. So it's actually a pretty good deal. 
but the fact that it's almost like you're paying for a netflix subscription or something like that is just like i don't know it's just weird like for all the same reasons i was saying about like the metroid prime preview channel and the mario tennis demo and all that like you're not really owning the game you're kind of renting it and when you're done with it that's it it's gone no more resident evil on your switch and there's no physical box to note that you once had it there's no way to revisit it years from now there's no way to have like a historic preservation of it it's just like gone like i the the reason this bothers me is i used to love renting n64 games from blockbuster all the time there are a few i kept going back to rush 2 snowboard kids um mario party 2 that one granted you could buy now but the other two you can't and it now annoys me modern day jason that past jason didn't just buy them because i have no way to revisit these titles like ever unless i want to go through emulation or some sort of not authentic not really the n64 method and it's almost as if like i went from having these things that are part of my gaming past and my gaming life and they just kind of like vanished it's like they never existed at this point and that to me is what's so weird about cloud-based gaming because even if you're paying 18 bucks to experience you know a mostly stable video stream of resident evil 7 that mostly works and even though that is a very crazy cool concept they can do that on the switch like in and of itself that is awesome but just the fact that like once it's done it's just gone and you've no like well if i want to buy the game i just can't it's weird i don't know like i i where, where do you stand on all this maybe i'm overthinking it maybe i'm just weird Mm, I don't mind too much. I, I still see it as like, well, Resident Evil 7 is on the Switch, but we're giving you a chance to experience the game if you literally have no other way to play it. So I well, th- if I want like So I see it as I see it almost as like you're going to the movies. Like if you if you're the kind of person that just goes to the movies to watch a movie and you don't buy it, then it's like, alright, I'm just gonna experience Resident Evil Seven. Cool, I played it. Alright, I'm i I'm done. That's actually a really good analogy. I mean if you're not a if you're not a pack rat or someone that like has to collect everything then and if you're not a Jason, and because I've gone like not physical this generation, if I didn't already have a PS4 and if I didn't already have access to Resident Evil Seven in VR, no less, um, I probably would have done it and just like played it and been like, all right, cool, I experienced it. I played that, it. I, I actually really like your movie analogy because maybe I am looking at it from the wrong perspective because I do look at every game I purchase as being like a purchase, like being a thing that's like a part of my yeah gamer I mean, identity and, and, and in a way that eight, I want to be able to somehow revisit and for it and document bucks, it. Three months with it, you could definitely like yeah. You could play. no, the price is great. No, yeah, that's what I, if if you actually make sure you sit down and play it and play it through everything, then I would say that's a pretty good deal just to, just for the fact that you're able to experience it. Because I mean, if they try to res it down so much that you're playing it on the Switch, it probably wouldn't look that great, right? So I think just the fact that you're even given that opportunity, it's just a really good thing. I never thought of it as kind of like the movie going to a movie mindset yeah. Or, yeah, it, it's weird or, or like a show or like a play you're not like you rarely get yeah. to see i mean move i feel like it, the analogy works better yeah, especially with a play or a concert because for the most part you don't really buy pre-recordings of concerts i don't know why you would like, i have a it, couple really well one i was at yeah yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but i mean you didn't sit there and record the whole hour yeah but, i mean fine you're not going to record hamilton like you can't you're not really right, supposed to right right like i mean yeah i think no, that's more, fair yeah so it's more like watching hamilton or like the book of mormon that's, you, that's you, such you, an interesting comparison because yeah i've always like there we talked about this on show in the I mean, past about dlc they but, are stories they are it is a storytelling medium it's just yeah. a different format that's it's just something we have to kind of shift gears because this is the only format where you can go from a almost exclusive story-based like scenario yeah. and a purely Let's play for endless hours of non-progressional fun. It's all the same. Yeah, and, and it's in the same yeah. thing. You can't really do that with a movie. It's true. Like, you can't... And, and I think yeah. that's part of the whole... Because I always look at games as, like, it's a It's so thing. flexible. It's so... That's why it's... I mean, it's still in its, its 
still a young medium compared to the I mean especially compared to film that's true so. but yeah I think I think maybe I just need to shift my view though because like you definitely do. I know because I'm thinking like I always look at games as like something you obtain and have You're getting older Jason grow up maybe <laughs> catch up with your body I know I know your body's no, also I, I like do... giving out already so Oh, thanks. Um, no, but I do. I do think part of it is like, because yeah, it is something I always thought you obtain. And then you know, I was thinking we had this conversation. I want to say in the last year on the show about like how you preserve games when they're digital. Like how you like well, how's there like a museum of these things in the future if servers are turned off? Like how's Splatoon work when four fifths of the game won't I mean, work? I mean, going back to the play, like how do you truly preserve? Well, no, but that's that's my yeah. point. Is perhaps perhaps gaming's hit some sort of inflection point where it's not that's not how that's just not how it works and I just yeah. need to catch up with that logic because yeah like I said in of itself streaming Resident Evil 7 to your Switch even if you're stuck at home doing it and being able to play it on your couch or on your TV is really really cool conceptually like the fact and that honestly, we have that technolo- and honestly, technology is nuts and honestly it's that kind of game that you don't really want to play on the go you really yeah. want to play like in a room with your headphones atmosphere like get like the lights down like it's a very atmospheric game especially the yeah, more than likely, you should play, mean, you should play on a TV. You could also I argue mean, that I mean, you shouldn't watch Saw on a phone on a bus, but I bet people do. I know yeah. they do, <laughs> yeah. and because they can, some yeah. will. So I mean, people can. They'll yeah. find a way to play Resident Evil not on the TV. They'll, like I said, they'll use their hotspot. Right. They'll they can do it. I mean, True. if they really want to, they can do it. They really want to. And and for those who are interested in checking this out, you can actually download Resident Evil from the Japanese eShop, and it will stream in English to the states. However, due to the distance, it, I just feel like we should tell people it is going to lag. There's connection stuttering. There's drops fairly often. Well, people can't even make it the, to the mansion. Yeah, the video. What? The, the mansion. Well, oh, I, you mean like in the stream they can't? Like yeah, in the, the, in the yeah. demo because you start from your car and you're walking to the mansion that most people can't even make it to oh, the yeah, mansion because yeah. it just crashes. Yeah, it's, so if you're outside Japan, this is very – it's available, but it's very much aimed at Japan. So just keep that in mind if you want to get Because, again, it is conceptually. It is super cool that you can do this. Like just a game that's actually being played on some device somewhere far away. But, you know, they're, they're still ironing out the text. So so something to be mindful of. And now to go from zombies to rabbits. There's no transition here. We're, we're just doing it. Um, Mario and Rabbids. As as part of all this pre-E3 hubbubaloo we're talking about, Ubisoft followed up on a longtime promise they made that they're going to have new DK-themed DLC for Mario and Rabbids Kingdom Battle. And sure enough... They have now announced it. It's coming out next month, and it's called Donkey Kong's Adventure. And I have to say, well, didn't they announce it a long time? They ago? announced it was coming, but now they actually like announced it. I like, mean, I mean, we had a whole trailer video with Donkey Kong. We had a pre-rendered thing. Now we have actual gameplay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it was announced before. Yeah, I mean, like they actually—I guess I should say unveiled it. That's probably the better word. They announced it. And now they unveiled what it is, or they revealed the details, or they showed it off. What it is now is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's called, we know more. It's we know more, and it's called Donkey Kong's Adventure, and it actually has a ton of con- like they put so much effort into this they could have just pumped out some new maps in a new setting and called it a day but like apparently we're talking 10 hours of additional content that's about 50 percent of the original game so they have added a third more game to your game or half more 50 percent more game to your game which is pretty cool and then like of those 10 hours there's gonna be four new zones to explore there's gonna be new battle mechanics and perhaps best of all there's a cranky rabbit there's a cranky kong rabbit he has a cane, he has the glasses, he has everything. He's actually replacing Beepo in the DLC. So when you walk around the world in between the battles, you are controlling Cranky Rabbit, which is the greatest, really. But, um, Isn't he just riding Beepo? I thought like... you're actually controlling him. I mean, it looks like he's riding Beepo just like a, like a unicycle. Either way, I mean, yeah. either way, he's steering the unicycle. You're controlling the 
Cranky Rabbit. I mean, yeah, ten, it's a technicality, but I'm, I'm sticking with it because Cranky Rabbit's great. He's p- quite possibly the best thing that's happened to this game. Um, <laughs> you know, like the best thing that ha- that's happened to humanity. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like the adventure of the internet got nothing on Cranky Rabbit. But, uh, yeah, more interesting than him, honestly, are the battle mechanic changes because as... they didn't put Funky in it. Yeah, right? They could have had a new Funky mode. Yeah. Well, well. It, it, it Unless almost, it, he's there, secretly I, I feel like end. all these like funky hype and stuff like makes it almost like a guarantee that like Funky's gonna appear in Smash Brothers in some way. So it's gonna be like a like his, his trophy. His, his reveal trailer will be like um like oh here's like Funky mode and then it's. Actually, I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't rule him out in Rabbids at least because like did you, you saw the trailer for yeah. this right? Like they play Donkey Kong sixty four music. They're they're doing their due diligence of Donkey Kong like history. So if Funky shows up, that would make sense. But uh, what we do know is the battle mechanics. We don't know if Funky will be there, but we do know the battle mechanics. And yeah. as was the case with the rest of the cast, DK's got his own abilities. In this case, that means he can actually pick up and throw anything, anything on the stage, cover blocks, enemies, teammates. If it's a teammate, like if he throws Cranky Rabbit, uh, Cranky Rabbit can actually do a midair attack. So basically, from a strategy perspective, this isn't just they're making new maps. They're opening up a whole new range of possibilities because now you can ex- essentially get a second move for one of your teammates pretty much every turn. Or you can cancel out an enemy pretty much on spot because you can take an enemy and throw it into the spawn spot and basically clog it. So there's like all these new ideas of how you can make your way through these levels, which is kind of cool. And the levels themselves have new ramps and vines and other things to interact with. So there's a lot of stuff they're adding beyond just what they needed to do as a bare minimum. And then, of course, DK has other attacks. He has a banana boomerang. He has his bongo drums from Donkey Konga. Like I said, they did their due diligence Yeah, the, the only thing that um, kind of felt like a missed opportunity is I feel like instead of just um, revisiting Donkey Donkey Rabbit, they could have done, like, King K. Rabbit or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I'm a little bummed that the premise is literally just, remember that Donkey Rabbit? He's mad that you beat him. He's back. Now you have to chase him for four worlds. It's like, why? Well, yeah, I think a King K. Rule Rabbit or, like, anything like that would have been cool yeah. or tie in with tropical freeze since it just came out on switch and have some of the like seal people whatever they're called show up the vikings yeah, Those, yeah the seal viking guys but alas nonetheless like it's still actually pretty like i this i did not expect it to be this much or this good looking yeah like it, it's above and beyond and it's it's uh it's actually gonna be relaunched with the game they're going to re-release it in retail as a gold edition. It'll have Donkey Kong included in the new box art and everything sometime next month. Also, if you have a uh, season pass, you'll be able to get it that way, and they will sell it for an unknown price all sometime in June. And I'm kind of curious to see like what sort of sales boost this ends up giving the game, because Mario and Rabbids, I don't know if you know this, it actually is the only remaining third-party release in the Switch's top 10 software sales. It's just trucking along because it's basically first-party. Um, at least here in the U.S. and at least in the month of April, like it's been consistently there. Everything else is first party, but there's Mario and Rabbids in spot number like six or seven. And I imagine, I imagine a proper relaunch with Donkey Kong and whatnot will move it back up the charts. Which Mario and Donkey Kong and Rabbids, Mario and Donkey Kong and Rabbids on my, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, I assume it's gonna move it back up the charts, which nicely brings us to yes, the April NPD sales charts. It's time for Jason Sales Corner, y'all. Here we go. Get ready. And you know, Angel, I, I heard that side, but I think I think you'd actually find this month interesting because not only do we have Is your vested interest, it enhance my enjoyment of the games I currently have. It will enhance. It will. It's it's Sony saying thank you to the to them. You, Sony saying thank you from them to you. But let me explain that. Wow, I'm just breaking. But no, it's um. Yeah, you have the vested interest in Nintendo, of course, but you have this newfound vested interest in PlayStation. And Sony is absolutely killing it 
or absolutely killed it yeah, in April. Did they say the PS4 has at least three more years in its like, They said it has at least three more years, which is a weird thing to say. Like, why? Because originally they said, oh, we're, we're, nice of time. we're winding down the PS4, by which we mean three years. It's like, why even tease it at that point? Like, what, yeah. what are you achieving? But they, they have plenty of life in the PS4 of these numbers or indication because you were one of many, many people who jumped on the PS4 bandwagon in uh, the month of April, and you did it for God of War, and so a lot of others, because it gave PS4 the highest April unit sales for a console since the Wii back in April 2009. Wow. Not only that, but in terms of dollars, like dollar sales, like in terms of just money made, the highest console performance in, in, in the month of April since 2008 with the Wii. Like, Sony is killing it, and you contributed one system to that. So good for you. You nice. made history. But no, it's, it's and they also had just a great month in general. Like software sales for PS4 in April are the highest any platform has ever had in the month of April since they started doing the charts in 1995. And that's because of God of War, which has already wow. sold 5 million copies. Jeez. That's because of Far Cry. It's only been like a month and a half. I know, I know. And now keep in mind, this is only April, so this chart ends like first week of May or so. So we're that's only, even more impressive. Yeah. Man. I think the 5 million might extend beyond that, but everything else is just talking April. And, you know, it's because God of War is number one. Far Cry 5 was number two, and that's selling pretty well on PS4. And then also uh, a PS4 exclusive, MLB The Show, was number three on the chart. So they just dominated the top three. And like it was, it was a great month for Sony is what I'm saying. And it, and it was so good, it helped boost the industry overall by 18% compared to where we were a year ago. And a year ago was the Switch launch, basically, like the second month of Switch. So Sony's really killing it. That's not to say Nintendo had a bad month, though. They had four games in the top ten, including Mario Kart 8, uh, Mario Kart 8 at number 6, Mario Odyssey at number 9. If you expand that list to the top 20, you got both Breath of the Wild and Kirby Star Allies making the list again. But there are two specific Nintendo games I'd like to highlight. First up, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. So technically it came out in May. And this is the April sales chart. But the cutoff for the April reporting period was actually May 5th, i.e. the day after Donkey Kong came out. And somehow... In that one or two day reporting period, depending on how they do the cutoff, Tropical Freeze managed to sell enough physical copies. We're not even talking eShop downloads, just strictly boxed copies. It sold enough to be the fifth best selling game in the month of April. It came out on the last day of reporting. Fifth best selling game. It's a port of a four year old game. And it was number five with less than 48 hours on the chart. Like that, that's that switch bump for you. Like that's crazy. And to give some further context to just how big that performance is, when Tropical Freeze first released on Wii U back in February 2014, it didn't even crack the top 10 of NPD. And in one or two, depending on how you look at it, days, it's halfway up the chart now on Switch. And, and just to give you even more like crazy stat jumps, month over month, Donkey Kong rose from being number 744 on the March 2018 software chart based on Wii U version sales, again, to number 5 on the, thanks to the Switch version. So it's, it's doing great. It's, it's very much the pattern we saw with Kirby Star Allies all over again. Like, we saw Kirby Star Allies that just putting a major franchise on Switch seems to give it a huge boost. The game went on to become one of the best-selling in the franchise, the fastest-selling franchise history, and in Kirby's case, it in Japan alone, it's now at over half a million units. As of March 31st, last year for Nintendo, it's over a million units worldwide. It's doing great. Like, in fact, in, in Japan... Tropical Freeze has already surpassed the entirety of the Wii U version sales in only two weeks. Two weeks. Wow. So this game is killing it. And it's not, and or all these games, the Switch bump is real, Man, is what I'm trying like to say. Nintendo and Sony are doing well. I mean, Microsoft must be doing amazing too then. Right? They're actually up year over year with Xbox, but I don't, but Sea of Thieves has already dropped out of the top 10. It was like 
really good in March and just kind of disappeared in April. No. But there, everyone seems to be doing well. Microsoft actually has something really cool. You see that accessibility controller they came out with? Yeah, I did. That's really cool. Yeah. Like that's the sort that's that's very Nintendo of them. Like the whole like it's a different type of blue ocean, but it it's it's really cool that they're trying to be as inclusive as possible like that. But you can't get any more inclusive. You can't. I mean, unless you. Yeah, no, you can't. That that's pretty much yeah. it. Yeah. But it's but back to Switch. I just want to point out that the Switch bump we're seeing is not just first party stuff either. As we highlight from time to time, ports of existing indie games are also getting a pick me up thanks to the Switch. Uh, for example, a game called Owl Boy became profitable on Switch in, in only a day. Their developer, D-Pad Studios, said after 24 hours, it was pure profit from that release. That's how quick it, that's how well it was doing. And then similarly, we got word from uh, Exceed Games that the ultimate day one edition of Shantae Half-Genie Hero, a game that Nintendo fans are quite familiar with. It's on Wii U, it's on Switch digitally, it's been there for a while. The special edition they're coming out with, fastest selling limited edition Exceed has ever made. It's already sold out. So no matter what it is, you get this like Switch stimulus package, so to speak, if you put it on Switch, and that that's you know that's kind of cool to see. Ironically, the one thing that the Switch stimulus seems not quite as strong on is the one that had the most buzz before release, which is Nintendo Labo. So don't get me wrong, Labo did pretty well for itself. The variety kit landed in the number four spot on the top ten. Uh, that's the highest ranked Nintendo release for the month of April. But then at the same time, the robot kit. Uh-huh. It debuted down at number 21. As in, it didn't sell very well. As in, it kind of bombed. So Variety's doing great. Robot, not so much. And MPD itself is describing the launch of Labo as a whole. And I love this quote for how little it actually says. As being, certainly not fantastic. And definitely not terrible. So, another way to word that is they called it solid. Quote, unquote. Uh, and may- maybe, I don't know. Maybe I bought too much into the hype. But I after how... Did. Okay, well, good chat. No, I was going to say, after how viral Labo went with its debut and how the mainstream media picked it up going into the launch, like I kind of assumed it do a little better than just solid or not fantastic but not terrible. Like, solid's good, but it's not runaway hit good. And it, it's conflicting, really, because like I knew, and we've discussed it on the show before, Like I knew that Labo was going to be slow out of the gate. We've talked about how... You'll need, you'll need word of mouth to do well and how likely pick up momentum going to the holidays much like any toy would do because Labo's a toy before it's a game, you know. Uh, but I guess I just thought I'd do a little more than not fantastic and not terrible. I don't know. Like, especially in light of how many videos of creations were being shared, in light of how Nintendo had that creator contest going where they're encouraging weird new ideas. I mean, we even had that UPS video where they built a Toy-Con carrying case and the video did so well that UPS is now actually considering really building and selling the carrying case. Like, all that to me points to Labo not just being solid, but something more than that. And I'm not trying to sound like down and out on this because, again, it did have a solid launch. Number four is nothing to scoff at. Even at you know, even if number twenty one for the robot kit maybe is number four on the chart is good when you're selling cardboard, and it's just like when you compare it against the hype, it seems I don't know a bit a bit lackluster, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, visually, I mean, when I went to pick up my God of yeah, War, yeah, do you see boxes around? No, yeah, that's what. Like, I mean, it looked like about for every two. PS4 that sold a God of War there was like one Labo uh, kit. Which, which you know the chart reflects that because it's the fourth and God of War is the first <laughs> but 
Yeah. What about on your end when you picked up your laptop? I, you know, it was like a 50-50 split, weirdly. But I work near game companies, I've now learned. I mean, I knew Square Enix was next door to me, but it turns out, like, Activision has a uh, office, like, right down the street. Uh, Comtos has an office nearby. There's a couple others. So I have a skewed view because it's a lot of game people buying gamey things. So it, it was about 50-50 at my Best Buy. Hmm. But, but yeah, it's also, I think... I think part of why the Labo thing feels kind of lackluster is it may also be why, to some extent, Switch sales in the U.S. in the month of April are actually down year over year. I mean, naturally, it's hard to compare with the month after launch. Like, April 2017 was crazy because Switch was running the launch buzz. You know, everyone was talking about it. had great word of mouth. So seeing it down a year later kind of makes sense. But according to leaked numbers um, that have not been confirmed, but likely true uh it the switch may be down as much as 39 percent year over year and i can't help but wonder in the back of my mind if nintendo thought they'd do a bit better with labo as a s- system seller right out of the gate than they are like they probably anticipate switch would dip and they're probably like well we have nothing that really sells a system from january till april but then come april 20th we got labo and that's gonna do it and it didn't really didn't really do it so now it's kind of a matter, I guess, of just seeing how Nintendo plans to carry the Labo momentum that does exist, you know, going forward through the summer into the holidays. Uh, they seem to be making all the right moves. They took it to Maker Fair, which is absolutely the right audience for Labo. They stuck it on the Today Show. They've been doing constant updates to the Switch's built-in news channel with these, like, pre-made Toy-Con Garage codes that you can just, in, like, pop in or install on your game and then just kind of try them out. And most notably, they actually did a full Nintendo Labo music video with Ariana Grande, Jimmy Fallon, and The Roots. Did you did you see that? It's actually mm. pretty slickly produced. No. We so we have a link for anyone who hasn't seen it besides Angel. Uh, we have a link. I saw pictures of it. That's close enough to seeing it. I didn't see the video, but it looked pretty cool. Like, yeah. I mean, like I saw pictures of like the open, how it looked open, right, how it looked right. closed, and like the lock and key. I'm like, wow, they. Oh, you're still on the UPS box. No, 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 oh, no. Yeah. I meant the, the Labo video. The the um Jimmy Fallon and the Roots and Ariana oh, Grande. Oh, no, I just saw pictures of that. No. Yeah, no, yeah, it's uh, Jimmy well, Fallon. No. Yeah, I know you're not the biggest yeah. fan, but uh, yeah, it's um. Well, we have a link to it at the blog post at ringantown.com for this episode if anyone wants to watch it. But like as a marketing move, it 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 it's pretty slickly done. Like it's a riff. So Fallon does this bit every so often with artists called Classroom uh, Instruments or Classroom something like that, and it's found in the roots, and they perform a song with the artist. But they only use classroom instruments, you know, like a xylophone and a triangle and that sort of thing. But here, what they actually did is they built everything out of cardboard. They programmed each instrument using Toy-Con Garage or using existing Toy-Cons in different ways. So like Questlove, the the Roots drummer, he had the robot suit on. And every time he pulled it, it would do a note. Or like uh, Black Thought, who's like their main MC, he would – he had the fishing reel and he'd spin it and it would make a sound or whatever. And they did an entire performance of Mariana Grande's new single – Using just Labo. And it's very, very well done and absolutely feels like the type of move Nintendo needs to make to get Labo, you know, in the mainstream conscious even more. Has about 4 million views. I mean, the image of them, like, laid out on the f- on the floor just looked funny. That's pretty much all I thought about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it, and they, they were all dressed in, like, lab suits yeah. and different colors. And it was it was very well done. And it was a good marketing move. So now it's just a question of can that plus everything else Nintendo's doing actually get word of mouth going into the summer, into the fall and keep Labo going. And then for Switch itself, of course, Nintendo seems to already have enacted their plan to pivot from a one-per-household to a one-per-person mod- like device strategy. Because in Japan, they just announced that the new second unit set is coming out, and that will include the Switch, 
Joy-Cons, all that stuff, but no dock, no HDMI cable, and no Joy-Con grip. And it'll cost $70 less as a result, so $230 versus $300. And if you combine that with the rollout of the family plans for Nintendo accounts and my Nintendo and Switch Online and all that, it certainly looks like Nintendo is like well underway with basically getting a second win with Switch. <laughs> world by, domination. Yeah, to world domination. No, but, but try and get like that second win to give Switch a boost beyond just the games and beyond just Labo and whatnot. So... We'll see what happens. I mean, I do want to stress again, it's not like Nintendo's doing bad or that Switch is doing poorly. Four games in the NPD Top 10 is great. Donkey Kong sales are uh, bananas, pun totally intended. And the Neon Switch itself, like the actual unit, is still the number one selling individual console configuration in the U.S. market in April. It's just that PS4 and Xbox One, their combined configurations, all those different SKUs together outsold all the different SKUs of the Switch. But Neon's still number one as a single individual thing. Plus, I mean, it's the better one. I like my gray. Actually, yeah. I, I kind of regret not getting neon. But. I mean, you're yeah, you're just wrong in every way. Well, it's fine because only gray, you. Like, I, everyone else that got gray, I, I can understand why they would, but you, like, you're just dumb. Thanks. Uh, yeah. No, it's fine because I always like to get the flagship color of Nintendo's devices. I mean, isn't it dumb neon? No, the flagship color. It was. It is. Here's the thing: they unveiled the Switch in January of whatever, and, twice, gray. and it was gray, and I'm like. Okay, I'm getting gray. I pre-order gray. And then in all the marketing from about February on, it suddenly switched to neon because they realized they had a great-looking system on their hands. I'm like, well, this is this is my life now. I'm just going to be gray and boring. I mean, I know you... I could get the Joy-Con separately, but yeah. I don't need extra Joy-Con. Hmm. Yeah, so that, yeah. this is my plight. This is my... So I have to live with well, in life. I mean, it's it, hard, it goes, but someone has to. I mean, I guess it'll go nicely with your N64 and whatever other... That's Black, it. grayish uh, Wii U. Actually, the Joy-Cons the match Wii. my MacBook quite well. They're almost the same shape. There you go. Yeah, so There's it's fine. lining. There it is. But yeah, um, what my point was, like, Nintendo's not doing bad. We shouldn't assume they're doing bad. I'm just saying there's potential to do better. I mean, even if you just look at, like, the Super Nintendo Classic. Like, the SNES Classic is being cited by MPD. It's still making a ton of money for Nintendo. Plus, they're releasing the NES Classic here in the U.S. and in Europe on June 29th. So there's even more essentially free money for them to make. I'm just saying that if you zoom in on just Slavo, the picture isn't quite as rosy. That's all. I'm actually quite curious. I'm actually kind of curious, though. Like, So NES Classic comes back you know, June 29th, like I was saying. Do you think a lot of people are still interested, or do you think that they bought their SNES Classics and they're like, that's good enough for me? I mean... I know you are. Around the buzz. I mean, yeah, like the buzz around it when it came out sounded like a lot of people still wanted it and like just when couldn't they get it. it. No, like when those being sold. Right, right, right. But now that we're like a year later. Mm, you think those people were remember- saying like, will they actually well, go like, oh, I did want it when it came out and yeah. I didn't get it. Or do you think they all were like, I'll get the Super Nintendo because it's the next best thing. And now that the NES is coming back at so. the end of June. I, I thought many people had that mentality of I'll get the next best thing because they were literally getting it for nostalgic purposes. Unless they didn't have. Like I, like, like I have coworkers that wanted the NES when that couldn't get it. And they were like, like, I asked them, oh, are you getting the Super Nintendo too? Like, no, like I grew up with the NES. Interesting. Oh, so maybe okay. there's still hope. Because, yeah, like the, the thing I have in the back of my mind is like these mini consoles are to some extent a bubble in the same way Toys to Life was a bubble, in the same way that uh, plastic instruments for Guitar Hero and Rock Band were a bubble. PS2 well, we're already, it's already happening. Sega's making a mini draw, uh, Mega Yeah, but drive. these are all like 32 big consoles and below. SNK's making a Neo Geo. Like I said. Yeah, I know, they are. Yeah. I know. Like, so, what do you think will be the first one to come to market? I mean, well, I mean, PlayStation literally just has to re-release their PS2, which was already like the size of a SNES. Yeah, mini. yeah, but I just wonder, like, 
Except with the games built in. Yeah, maybe it does just need to go 3D. Maybe that's what it is. Well, you know, I mean, N64, Nintendo just retrademarked. I mean, play, the PlayStation Now little unit is probably, like, the closest thing to that. Probably. But the, yeah, it's, it's I don't know if Sony's going to do it. It doesn't really match up with anything they're planning. Like, right now, they're, literally, their new CEO is like, we're going to make le- fewer gadgets. So I don't see them immediately being like, except this one. But maybe. But I, I think if, if anyone's going to do 3D mini console first, it's probably going to be Nintendo. Because they already have the precedent, and they just the other day re-trademarked um, Nintendo 64 for gaming purposes. Now, everyone's freaking out saying this must mean the Mini. I'm pretty sure Nintendo saves their trademarks for all their devices because they don't want some other company being like, hey, check out our N64. But nonetheless, it does line up nicely with wishes for an N64 Mini. So maybe it'll happen. I mean, like given, given what we know about the virtual console, and that's kind of DOA. Would you actually reconsider getting one of these mini systems? Because I know you were against it because you didn't see a need for it. But like, if you know, if we know we're never getting N sixty four games on Switch, would you get an N sixty four mini? If you or is it um, no? maybe an N sixty four mini? Just because I don't really feel like connecting my N sixty four. If it has Smash Brothers, Mario Party two, Mario Kart sixty four, you know, just like the core like multiplayer games, especially because I have brother in law that are all about Smash Brothers 64. Right. If we could play with an actual 64 controller, like, I could see us definitely playing that for, like, forever. But you wouldn't do, like, a Super Nintendo or an NES, because no. it doesn't have the nostalgia. Because, right. yeah. no, a lot, I mean, SNES obviously has the nostalgia, but, but I already have those games, and right. I still have a working SNES that I could plug in whenever I want. Yeah, N64 I just choose is, not to. N64 is going to be the first one where I actually have a working one plugged into my TV, so I'm like, for collectible yeah. purposes, maybe, but... The only reason, yeah, just because, like, I don't want to deal with that many wires, and it's also not in HD. That's so. fair. That's fair. Smaller, yeah, uh, less intrusive. Yeah. But, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, like, how the NES Mini does, or the classic NES does when it comes back in June. Because, you know, it's the OG. So, like, if any of these are going to make it through any sort of bubble burst, it's going to probably be the original one. So, as it returns to its throne. So, we'll, we'll see, but... Yeah, it, it, I feel like there's definitely going to be too many on the market pretty soon. We have five already. Wow. Four. Four soon to be five. So, who knows? But with that, let's switch gears a bit. Let's let's talk about what we've been playing. Because you, sir, you've been spending some time with uh, our episode's namesake, namesake, Runner 3. And I wanted to also share some early hands-on impressions of the upcoming Sushi Striker, The Way of Sushido. So, let's start with yours, since it's an actual game that people can go buy right now. And it is our episode title, and then I'll wrap things up with sushi. I mean, it's huh. a, I mean roll things up with sushi. I'll make a su- yeah. I mean, wrapping it up also kind of works. Yeah, it worked better. I should have just stopped there. But yeah, how's Runner Three? Because uh, Runner I mean, Two is really fun. I mean, it's it's an easy one. Um, it's a it's an automatic recommend. I mean, they pretty much have their formula like down pat. Mm-hmm. It's I will say that it is um, it's like the what smash brothers for Wii is to brawl this one i feel is like to so not reinventing the wheel but just sort of expanding on it yeah putting actually, better tire treads on it you know what in that case i'll say it's more like mark what mario kart 8 is to mario kart whatever came before seven is that what they called it just a seven yes oh it was that is wow. how that is how numbers well because work. i don't know i mean they had mario kart Wii. that's not mario kart six they had mario kart they always started yeah that, that wasn't mario yeah. or seven with summer they always started numbering number seven yeah yeah, I know Mark. Yeah, so <laughs> so screw you, Jason. Uh, yeah. I was fine. Um, yeah, because I mean, Mark Card Eight. I feel, I mean, it was just like a nice new coat of paint on Mark Card Eight. I mean, on Mark Card Seven, even the the anti gravity mechanic, I feel, didn't really add much. So, so is there something in Runner Three? So, so you know, Runner so, so Two. The, the, this one basically, like Runner Three, okay. I feel, is just the developers feeling way more like pretty much just really, just really confident and really 
like happy with what they built in Runner 2, so they just kind of went a little more alive with the game design. Like, the level design used to just be you run left to right the whole time, and you just go with the with the rhythm of the level, and you just beat the level. I mean, the game is a rhythm platformer. Yeah. If anything, I would say it's more of a rhythm game than a platformer. Because, like, every jump, every dodge, every attack is timed to the rhythm of the music. And you can't play the game, I guess in theory, you can't play the game without the music. Mm-hmm. But later parts of the game will be way harder without it. Like, the music really does cue you up to get to like over certain obstacles just because if you follow the timing of the music it would just be that much is more it, easier is it the same it's the same move sets right jump slide yeah jump slide block like and you and you can't use them all at once in the beginning you eventually get to slide eventually you get to kick eventually you get to dance dancing is your way to earn bonus points whenever you're not doing anything you could just dance and cure you know, just acquire more points that way it's the way that you could get into a leaderboard because like oh that person did a very risky dance because while you're dancing, you can't jump or dodge or anything. Mm-hmm. And it lasts for like, we'll say, one hit of the metronome. So if you dance at the wrong time, you might end up killing yourself. So finding spots to dance becomes essentially the metagame. They work, can I dance so that I can get more points so that I can reach the top of the leaderboard? So it sounds like you're saying you can dance when you want to. Not all the time. You should, you have to dance when you can. Don't ruin my bad age joke. Don't ruin my bad age joke. <laughs> I was proud of that one until you yeah, well, I mean, corrected I it. <laughs> I mean, I guess you technically can, but it won't always work well. No, well. it won't, yeah. Well, that that's part of the strategy of it all, right? Is you need yeah. to know when to pull it off. But like one of the things that um, like struck me the most from the very beginning, especially compared to Runner 2, and this only really, you really notice if you played Runner 2, is that the music is, it's a lot whimsier and silly. I feel like the whole game's look, like, the whole aesthetic of it is a lot whimsier and silly. Yeah, because, I mean, Runner 2, like, I mean, you have a lot of, like, returning, I'll just call them returning assets. Like, you have, like, mountains with faces. You have a lot of weird stuff. Yeah. But I feel like Runner 3 definitely just, like, multiplied it by, like, 10. Like, they, like, like I said, like, they got way more comfortable with what they had, and they just, like, went all out with it. Like, the backdrops are so wacky, and I don't know where that, you, they're almost, like, really... They're, they're just very distracting. It's almost a reward to be the person watching and you could just sit back and watch someone play it. Uh-huh. But like getting back to the music, though, because that is like the core aspect of it, like you kind of rotate between two or three tracks per world. So you, as soon as you start a level, you'll know, like, all right, which track am I dealing with? And eventually, once you get to know the track, you'll know like when certain beats are hit. Maybe it's the off beats. Maybe it's the, I don't know what to call the off beats, the on beat ones. Like, just based on the terrain of the level you'll get across obstacles that before you might have thought were impossible to get through, but because of the music, you get through them. Mm-hmm. But the music in Runner 2 used to sound more... I don't know, it had like kind of a synthy... Like a, you know, it was like more a bit-trippy when it was... Because it still had the bit-trip roots, right? Oh, well, sort or of. Like, well, that, I mean, that came in way more towards the end, mm. but like it just used like the synth a lot more. Like, everything just kind of had an echoey synth to it, no matter what the track was. Mm-hmm. But the... But Runner 3's music is, like I said, like it's more whimsical and silly in the sense that you have a lot of more acapella tracks. You have some tracks that are literally just people making different sound effects with their mouths. Uh-huh. Like, it's a, like a whole group of people making the entire, like, track with just, like, mouth noises. Like, hmm. And then there's other tracks that just sound, like, way more cartoony, almost like you're, it got pulled from, like, Looney Tunes or something. Like, I don't know, it's it's interesting. It's it's a very upbeat game. It's like way more upbeat than before. Like the one before almost had kind of like mysterious alien on a mission. And this one is more like 
oh, we're just here to have fun, just sit down and... This one sounds like Adult Swim made it. In yeah, some ways. basically. That's a very good way to put it. Just without any of the... Drugs. The R-rated stuff, but... <laughs> yeah, drugs or sex or whatever. And it still has the same level of difficulty, if not more. Like, now you have multiple tracks. You could collect... Each level, you can collect 100 gold... Yeah, 100 gold bricks, mm-hmm. or... After beating that and collecting the 100 gold bricks, you can go back and replay the level and try to collect the 25 gems. And throughout, and every once in a while, you'll come to a level where you could take on a side quest that has this character that asks you, go collect three of these things and then return to me. And doing that will reward you with a new character. And throughout these activities, you could collect, I think it was VHSs, and you could like play like these. I guess those are these are even more Looney Tunes style level. They're like two D. Those the retro challenges. Yeah, the retro form? challenges. Yeah, they're like two D. Like in Runner Two, they were like sixteen bit. Yeah, but in this one, they're more like two D animated. It looks really cool. Huh. Even the um, the cover of the soundtrack of the retro levels is literally the the Looney Tune rings where you see like Porky come out and say that's all folks. But it's Commander Video. Yeah, but it's Commander Video. Nice. Um, fun fact. I don't know how many of you even know the band Steamage, but Steamage composed the the music for this game, and they were actually the ones that composed a really, really well-made um, Metroid Metal soundtrack, like, maybe 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. Wait, is that the one with, it, it's a uh, blank cover, but Samus in the middle, 8-bit Samus, a little 8-bit guitar? Yeah. Yep. I yeah, think I have that from back in the day. Oh, yeah, I, I love that soundtrack. It's just and so they did well done. Yeah, and they, well, they did or the they did the, the retro levels. That's still so really they cool. have kind of like an electrical zany guitar like, oh, cool. metal riff to them. It's really well done. the The regular soundtrack is done by one gentleman. I forgot what his name was, but Steamage just kind of like popped out of my like, whoa, Steamage, they're back. I I mean, I still have their album. Like, I love listening to their uh-huh. Metroid covers. But yeah, I mean, the game is as difficult as you want it to be. It's you have a bunch of like characters to pick from. Like as you unlock them, you have a bunch of cool costumes that you get to unlock and buy at a store. A lot of cameos. I mean, you get to play Charles Martinet. Which That's is, my favorite thing. Which is amazing. Like, it's so meta. Because he's, for those who don't know, he narrated Runner 2 and Runner 3. And yeah. of course is Mario. And, and his narrating is like even more like Zany in this one. Like I, like one of the first things that you hear is like that I just like made me laugh. It's like, oh, I'm Charles Martinet and you're not. And this is Runner 3. Oh, that's an SNL yeah. reference right there. That's a quality Chevy Chase reference from early SNL. Is it now? Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't know, but that's good to know. Yep. Yeah. The more you know. Shovel Knight's also in this, isn't he? Yes. Um, yeah. Shovel Knight's in everything. Shovel Knight is just the indie go-to They, they guy. literally just shovel him into anything. He's in that... Um... I mean, they shovel him into anything. Yeah. But he, he's in, yeah, he's in that um, uh, something Gunner, Striker, Sword Blade... Blade Strangers. Blade Strangers. Yeah, we mentioned. I think we mentioned that last episode. Yeah, and he's, he's very buff. And he's Blade also Strangers. in the the puzzle crossover game. He is. I didn't know I he think was. So. Oh, in Crystal Crisis. Crystal Crisis. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't he was in there. But he's game. very buff in Blade Strangers. Yeah, he's like what I imagine going to the gym would do to me. But I know <laughs> won't. I, I I did like that they like completely redesigned him. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was fun. Like it's so it's not just. Regular. Um, I, I do like that Runner Three also randomly has the dude from Brutal Legend. I don't know how that collaboration yeah. happened, but it's kind of a nice nod to people that are a fan of like Chafe, Tim Schafer mm-hmm. and his work. Something funny um, that I saw because I mean I bought it digitally just because I yeah. just wanted digitally. Yeah. If you buy the physical version, um, those three characters: Shovel Knight, the that dude that you just talked about. I think about. his name's Eddie. Yeah, Eddie and um, Charles Martinet. You 
they're just silhouettes and you have to like scratch them off with oh, a yeah, coin. Oh yeah, the instruction book. Yeah, I saw yeah, that too. But, That's but, super clever. But for Charles Martinet, it's the silhouette of Mario and it says it's to me and if you scratch it off you just see the Charles Martinet avatar, but oh, that's great. I think it's funny that they put Mario there. That's great, yeah. yeah. I'm surprised Nintendo let that. Well, I guess it's just a silhouette. Yeah, it's just a silhouette, yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I would definitely recommend it. So it's... the one thing that I remember seeing with Runner 3 that was kind of like, really? Was it's pricier than it's ever been. Like, 30 bucks. Does it feel worth 30? Oh, yeah, easily. Okay. It, it just feels like really. Two is like twenty. It just feels really polished. I mean, it feels like you're buying like a, a like, full a, like a first party game. Nice. Like, and I guess the physical is then forty, probably. Probably. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, one of the things that just makes it feel just hefty or even more. I mean, besides just like all the additional levels you can unlock and the difficulty in it. Um, like I mean. In Runner 3, like, if you look at the logo, there's arrows pointing in every which way. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, yes, there's different paths, but I guess what makes this game just feel more cinematic and just grander than Part 2 without even doing much, kind of like the gravity mechanic in Mark Credit, is that it just has a sweeping camera. Oh, so okay. at times, yeah. like, the camera will tilt behind Commander Video. Sometimes it'll go in front of them. Sometimes it'll go at a two-thirds quarter angle. And, like, if you're, as long as you're keeping track of the music, you'll be just fine. Okay. You just have to readjust. But it does change it up significantly i do remember when uh when they first announced it that was the thing they announced they put out the logo and they're like look we're using the z-axis and i remember i think even on, i don't know if we did it on show or off air but we're both like does it actually make a difference but i, I guess it does yeah i mean not like a huge one but like enough that you're like oh no it's cool yeah, yeah it's yeah. a noticeable difference right kind of how like i need to buy this is what yeah. i'm hearing yeah. I was on the fence about it. like I like Runner Two, but I just didn't. I mean I don't know, I either I mean if you're quick. if you're in need of a game, which I would say Jason isn't, um, you could wait. Technically, until... I should never buy a game again following that no, logic. No, I mean <laughs> you, you definitely should buy games, but I mean you you have your plate full right now. Or I guess you could just keep doing what you're doing and just buy every game as they come out, get your fill of them, and then move on to the next one. So yes, do buy it now. <laughs> okay, hear that, folks? He wants all you to buy it now and become Jason. Yeah, or just wait for a good sale and definitely get it then. I mean, I'm sure it'll go on sale. And definitely. Or, yeah. It looks quality. Like, it looks really good. It is quality. Yeah. It literally is quality. Good. Yeah. So that's Runner 3. Meanwhile, I've been over here with Sushi Striker, the way of Sushido. Uh, the demo just came out, so I figured try it out. Uh, you know, go a little hands-on with it for the final game. And it is probably Nintendo at its weirdest. I mean, like... How often do you get an anime story-driven sushi-themed puzzle game about a world war over sushi that killed a protagonist's parents and now you have to go avenge their death and free the sushi for everyone from the evil empire who wants to keep the sushi for themselves? That's the premise. You mean that's not the everyday life in Japan? It's not. No. I, unless we're living very different <laughs> lives, in which case maybe. But, but yeah, I, th- I think – you know as out there as that is what surprised me most about the demo is how much there is to the game under the surface because you know at first glance pretty straightforward color matching puzzle games skin like an anime tv show and yet it really kind of goes like all in on both of those things even in just the demo like you really get a sense that there's a lot under the surface of such a simple concept about you know international diplomacy and sushi i mean let's start the gameplay the, the fundamental mechanic is pretty simple, albeit kind of absurd. Like, you need to match colored plates of sushi, and then you throw those plates at your opponent, and meanwhile he or she is also matching colored plates of sushi and throwing them back at you. And there are multiple conveyor belts of uh, plates. They go by, and you have up to seven seconds to stack 
or connect as many of these card plates together as you can, thus forming your stack. And then, once you have your stack of plates with a flick of the button press, you send those stacks into your opponent to damage them. The more plates, the more damage. That's it at its simplest level. It is a sushi boat restaurant turned into a puzzle game. That's pretty much it. But like any good puzzle game, even in and of, that, in and of itself, that means you actually have a lot to do on the fly to strategize the best way to combine all those different plates. You know, Sometimes that means sacrificing a higher combo for multiple smaller ones. Uh, sometimes that means you know you, you're in a bit of a panic because you get attacked and your HP is low and you really need to scramble and you're, there's that tension. But the thing is, there's way more to Sushi Striker than just that because, first of all, the conveyor belts can move at different speeds and different directions. So you need to factor that in when you're building your combos. And then on top of that, there's this entire system called the Sushi Sprites, which gives the game almost kind of like an RPG flair as you collect and level up these little yokai watch-looking dudes who grant additional abilities as you battle on the battlefield or sushi table or whatever it is your your plate throwing is happening on they affect it so in the demo this includes things like turning sushi into hp healing candy and then you really quickly grab all that and you boost your health back up or you can change every plate to the same color for a limited time they can do super big combos that way and the thing is, you have sushi sprites, but your opponent also has sushi sprites. So I imagine in the full game, this becomes a full-on like RPG-style rock-paper-scissors scenario where you need to choose the right three sprites to bring into battle to outdo your opponent's abilities with his sprites. And as if that wasn't enough going on at once, so you got the basic puzzle game, the conveyor belt, pandemonium, the sushi sprites. On top of that, there's all these other combo systems in play where you can give yourself percentage boosts around matching certain colors at certain times to boost certain stacks to be more powerful when they hit the other person. And it's just, there's like five or six layers to this game at any one time. And it it's like, you, you know, looking at it, it looks like a simple match three sort of deal, but no, it, it's more of a puzzle RPG that is just like a puzzle game straight up. Uh, the, the one thing I'll know about the gameplay though, is that it definitely feels like it was made with the 3DS in mind, which makes sense because, you know, it started on 3DS. Uh, but, like, the button con- the button controls work. They work well enough. You hold down A and oh, then I thought you were going to meant the layout is very no, the layout's narrow. Not, the layout's not even that bad. So they managed to map it over to the 3DS screen, or, I mean, the Switch screen just fine. I think there'd probably be more breathability on the 3DS because you would have yourself on the lower screen and the opponent entirely on the top screen. But this one works. I didn't have a problem with that. But the thing that's kind of interesting is, like, if you play with the button controls, you hold down A, and then you swing the control stick around to point at the different sushis you want, basically, and then it kind of connects them. But it just feels much easier to just drag your finger along the touchscreen on the Switch and get them that way, which, you know, I think is a leftover from the fact that it was made for the 3DS originally, where it was a touchscreen. Um, the nice thing is that you can actually use a combo of the two control setups. So you can use buttons and touch. So what I found myself doing is I'd use touch to collect the pl- or i ended up using buttons to collect the plates just because that was where my hand happened to be but then i'd use touch to highlight the sushi sprite abilities so like they're on the left side on the bottom screen so you just tap them and go straight and you know trigger the ability so i was doing this like one two punch granted full touch felt like the way to go but i somehow landed in this weird in between where it's half touch half stick but it worked for me you know uh but back to the idea of like there's more than meets the eye to this game for a minute i i hope the gameplay the way i describe it makes sense as kind of this being this deeper thing than you'd expect it to be but i still need to explain the presentation side what surprised me about the presentation side is that this game goes 
all the way in on its premise and story. I mean all in. It has an opening theme song, Rip Stravin AMA. It has fully voice acted cutscenes. It has a lot of fully animated cutscenes. In the demo, the ratio... Honestly, in the demo, the ratio of cutscene to puzzle actual gameplay was probably like 70-30. It's like all cutscenes. I mean, I get there's a lot of exposition going on. How else do you explain a sushi war? But like, arguably, for the sake of demo purposes, it was almost like too much like i it was so heavy on the production and so light on the puzzle it just is weird but you mean like the 10 hour bravely default demo except this one's not 10 hours but yeah kind of like that where it's just like you didn't actually well, do much battling you just kept learning more and more and more but but the thing about the the cutscenes here i mean bravely default this is true too but they're very well done like i can't quite tell if they're a send up to anime or if they're a parody of anime. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Like, they're walking that line very closely. I mean, like, it takes the initial premise of the Sushi Wars so seriously that I feel like it's a legitimately trying to be an anime. Cause, you know, anime take whatever their concept is very seriously. I mean, not always. I mean, there's, like, plenty well, yeah, of parody. Yeah. I, mean, my, I mean, you look at my favorite anime of all time, which About is... About break, Baking Bread. Yeah, Baking Bread. And, yeah. and that itself is literally, like, a parody of anime. They literally parody other animes in that See, anime. and I feel like that's kind of what Sushi Striker's doing, because, like... In just the I mean, demo, it almost sounds like a variation of that. Just yeah, like, essentially, because yeah. in the demo, they throw in basically every trope you can imagine. I mean, you have the main character telling a vision of his dead parents that he doesn't know if he's good enough. You have a mysterious character come out of nowhere that has all the answers and is constantly blowing in the wind and has a weird aura of white light around him. You have, you know, the crazy little character sidekicks in the, in the form of the sushi sprites. You have, like, weird meta jokes where the narrator's talking, but you realize he's not the narrator because suddenly your character's talking back to him. He's actually a sushi sprite you have yet to meet. You have, like... You know, like the big bads that just kind of appear out of nowhere and suddenly know what's going on. It was very much... I think it's a parody. I can't quite decide if it's a parody or if it's just so ridiculous that circle back around to taking itself seriously. But either way, it works for the game. It's charming. It works. It's, it's cool. Um, but the... Yeah, and again, it's all about sushi. And all those things I just described were in a single demo. Like every... Like all those trips. Yeah, it almost one... sounds like a full impression of the game. It, this is all just the demo. I mean, I don't know how the sushi sprite system works beyond that, beyond the two I've tried. I don't know, like, if the gameplay story, will, if the gameplay will take over from the story at some point. All I know is the final game, you're going to have 100 plus levels, single player, plus multiplayer, plus online. And, uh, yeah, I'm just impressed by how much went into telling the story, even in the demo right now. Like, it just seems... Well, I mean, did it fulfill its purpose of the demo? And... Well, that, well, that's the thing. Because here's my my one concern coming out of the demo is whether the content will match the fifty dollar price tag. I don't know if I got that answer from the demo because, like, yeah, the cutscenes are elaborate. Yeah, it seems like there'll be a lot of stages in the final game, along with online multiplayer. But you also get those exact same things, or the vast majority of those things, from Poyo Poyo Tetris, which is ten dollars cheaper and technically has two puzzle games in it. So for ten dollars <laughs> more, right? Like, so for ten dollars more. I'm hopeful that Sushi Striker justifies its price. It certainly has the potential for more depth. I just... And, you know, like, the whole RPG angle is something deeper than what yeah. Poyo Poyo does. But I don't know if I'd buy it day one based on what I experienced in the demo. Like, mm. I'm a sucker for the whole fight-through puzzles, like, subgenre. I said that last episode. Boy, you can't say that enough. I, it's just... I, I, mm-hmm. I think I always said it once this episode. But I Sushi Striker clicks with me on that level. I just don't know if the individual puzzle mechanics, while many click with me on like the $50 price tag level Mm. so I appreciate them I just don't know and I understand the depth that comes with them I just don't know if it's fully hooked me I might try the demo a couple more times I'm certainly not I I think at this point I'm certainly not going to get it day one Uh, I will say this though 
like the developers this is clearly a passion project for them based just on the demo um and it really embraces how absurd it is and it's really good for that so if nothing else i would say go try the demo for yourself see if it feels worth the 50 dollars to you because who knows by the time our next episode rolls around you could very well be playing the final sushi striker by for yourself because you know you like the demo that much i mean the game comes out june 8th our next episode is june 10th on the eve of e3 it is very possible that someone listening now will very happily be listening to us in two weeks while throwing sushi plates at people you never know so so yeah i'd say check it out it's very well done it's just and very like misleading in the sense of it looks very simple but has a lot to it it's just i don't know if it personally fully hooked me but i like what they're doing with it it's it's cool Mm -hmm. so with that said since i sort of already alluded to the next episode that does do it for this episode um as i mentioned our next episode's on e3 eve basically we go up on june 10th nintendo does their stuff on june 12th so i would say that you don't want to miss uh don't want to miss the episode because my gut feeling is there's gonna be a lot happening between now and then i mean there's gotta be pre-3 news to cover there's gotta be early mario tennis aces impressions for us to give possibly the pokemon reveal to dissect if let's go pikachu and eevee becomes real who knows so it's e3 season anything can happen to make sure you get a chance to listen before e3 actually begins i encourage everyone to subscribe and follow you can subscribe to us on pretty much any podcast service apple podcasts uh google play music tune in stitcher etc etc you can also follow us on twitter at ram nintendo and you can follow each of us individually on twitter for our hot takes and all the big pre-e3 news as it breaks or within a day of it probably mm-hmm. i'm jsr7 he's wero w-e-i-r-o underscore oh i'm just whacking the table now and yeah this is honestly this is one of the best times of the year to be a game fan so like soak it up and we'll we'll see you guys on june 10th